deep in the bowels of the concrete jungle. Somebody down. A strange but familiar mating call. Somebody said, fair warning. The creature is quite confident yeah. as he communicates with his fellow Mighty Van Halen fans. Lord, strike that poor boy down. The estranged cousin of the air guitar. Wow. It's the bebop singer. Wow, 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 wow. But one cannot get too close. <laughs> For they may scare the attempted rock and roll singer of Van Halen away. Ow! But he was disturbed anyway, and he let out a desperate cry. I'm ready to f party, Dave! Welcome in another day, another week. It's another rock and roll show. The yes. rock never stops. It yes. is great to be with you. The Vinyl Master is here, ladies and gentlemen. Hang on a second. I got to adjust my mask. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, seriously. <laughs> we are here. <laughs> Apparently, I say that too much, so I won't say that again. <laughs> we got a response from a viewer said, Diamond Dave talks about his mask a little too much so we're trying to we're trying to grip that and and crush it and get it away yeah that's it yeah yeah but it's not even a custom mask because you know all these bands they're, they're they've got well i've seen some things for like a van halen mask you know i think yeah. it's i don't know if it's authorized by the band i guess it would be kiss has some of course you know kiss yes. they market everything so there's a kiss design masks the destroyer album cover you there's know, a so. lot of neat masks uh, i sent you a a picture like a couple weeks ago, the Iron Maiden. Yeah. All yeah. the Eddies. Yeah, right? That is so you. It's that, not even funny. Oh, that is. Yeah. That, <laughs> it totally is. <laughs> and then I showed it to somebody and they were just like shaking their head like. <laughs> <laughs> I see Dave wearing that. <laughs> you see Dave wearing this downtown? I don't know. <laughs> did you say that? No, that's funny. <laughs> no, they did. <laughs> no, they did. Yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> anyway, we it's great to be back. Um, you know, we're getting through this thing. I mean, it's uh, every day, the, the gra Groundhog Day is the word that so many the phrase that so many people are using yeah. that this sounds like groundhog day feels like groundhog day every day you wake up kind of feels the same you know yeah, it does uh but uh but that's okay because you know our passion for music is still the same and we just keep it going you know it's just what we keep doing yeah i, I had a three-day weekend last weekend and what was, was that like <laughs> I, I honestly dude it was it was the most bizarre it, that extra day really helped but it was harder getting back i really it really helped harder to get back into the swing of things oh, yeah because I was just like, we we had a lot of family time, and mm. it was just nice to um, not have to think about <clears throat> coronavirus and right. walking around with a mask and dodging people every day. Yeah, that one day throws you off, though, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So yeah. I got to jam out. I got to work on uh, some projects that we're doing later. Yeah, yeah, some, some really exciting cool stuff. stuff. Yeah, some stuff we're really excited about. Uh, so stay very, tuned to that. You know it, man. We're, we're really pumped to... Uh, kind of an extension of what we're... Well, I, yeah. I'm not even going to say it. I don't even want to say it because it's cool. It's going to be really um, cool. Yeah, you're going to really like it. Uh, kind of, it's You know, it involves... Uh, well, you know, we'll leave it out. Yeah, I don't want to... When you feel good, I don't want to tease it too much. When we know? drop it, you're going to know. You're going to know, exactly. And you're going to yep. like it because it's... Uh, yeah. we action-packed with the stuff that you love. Yep, that's right. But on the show, we've got uh, part three, the final uh, installment of our uh, Dr. Greg Renoff interview. Uh, yep. His Ted Templeman book. 
um, Ted Templeman of Platinum Producers Life and Music. That that title just rolls off so easily. You know, usually I have to look at my notes again to see the title, <laughs> you know, but it's just, it's cool. It's, just, it's, a, it's a book they worked on really together to tell Ted Templeman's story. Uh, as we've said, Doobie Brothers, uh, you know, Nicolette Larson, you know, Van Montrose, Halen, Montrose, Sammy Hagar solo, all of that stuff. Uh, so, Bad Motor Scooter. Yep, yep. We pick up the chat kind of around the time when David Lee Roth left the band. And yeah. what Ted thought, because remember, Ted Templeman was a Warner Brothers executive. People always, you know, and, and I'm guilty of this too. We we think about the, the producer of a record, but there's executive producers, right. you know. There's a lot of management that goes into every big record, especially back in the day. So, yeah. Uh, Ted was an executive for Warner Brothers, not just a producer. So we hear how he dealt with what happened to, you know, one of his favorite bands that he had intimate involvement with, you know, musically, uh, creatively. Um, so you'll hear about that once David Lee Roth left and what Ted thought of all that. We've also got our friend, our resident yes. record studio, record, not studio, record store correspondent, Jay Sonica. Yeah. Jay Sonica has um, got a lot to talk about. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, news on the on the independent record store front and yep. i gotta tell you he's uh i don't know what he thinks at the moment we're gonna we're gonna yeah. we're gonna hear it in a few minutes yeah and, and we should say too we've talked to a lot of different like records you know in the, in the time since this show's been on we've talked we talked to a lot of different record store people but nobody really says it like jason you know what no. i mean like he has a just such a, a, a intellectual perspective on these things that just it's very unique you know and he's a heck of a nice, nice yeah, guy he's, too he's smarter than i am and I, you know <laughs> me too I, yeah. I just really uh I'm always intimidated by him, and it's hard to talk to him sometimes because yeah. he's so intelligent. But, you know. Yeah, great guy. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. But so, uh, uh, he is smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't know where I was going with any of that. I apologize. <laughs> it's all good. And we got we love you, Jason. Oh, yeah. We got some canceled tours. Uh, we'll talk about Journey. We'll talk about um, uh, another band uh, that I had in my notes here. We'll get to all of that. Anyway, but uh, first, Jay Sonica. He knows the whole industry. These are eight tracks. Jason Schiffer, hilarious. Yeah, that's right. Oh All right. boy, how you doing, man? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm I'm doing, guys. I'm doing. How are you? I'm good. We're hanging. Uh, Shane, to your point, you were talking about obviously the the changes in Record Store Day. Yeah, and, Jason. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, dude, it changes from hour to hour, minute to minute. I can't even keep up anymore. So. Is it is yeah. it's kind of a head spin here? I mean, now now it's changed from June to August. Let me get this right: August, September, and November. Oh man! Oh, August, September, and October. Oh, they moved November up. No, November is still happening too, apparently. So we have wait, wait, August, September, October, <laughs> and November. Oh my God! <laughs> this is what I was like getting the word yesterday: is that there's three record store day drops that are making up for the one that was rescheduled and then they're still apparently planning on black friday as being a separate event wow what's your take (laughs) what's your take on all this jason i just want to bury my head in the sand (laughs) (laughs) no you know i mean i think there's a part of me that has always said like i would really appreciate if they could spread this out a little bit because it really is just such a wham bang in one day all the time. And it's great in the sense that it celebrates like the record stores and the energy and all that. But it also is kind of like, 
you know, like you just kind of feel like you've been victimized and then it's like <laughs> people forget about you for six months or right. whatever. You know, it's, it's a very weird feeling. So I always thought, well, it'd be nice if they could spread this out a little bit so it's more of a regular sort of thing. So I guess I'm getting my wish, you know, be careful what you wish for. Now I got to be possibly exposed to certain people three times as much. I mean, there might be some people that only come once or don't come at all or just right. want to, you know, shop online. So there's that aspect. Uh, and then I got to find people who are going to help. Like I usually sort of have some volunteers and stuff like that. And it's kind of a lot to expect those people to put themselves on the line and show up three times for this kind of thing. You know, they might right. not want to give up all their Saturdays. So mm -hmm. right. it's um kind of a mixed bag really. And I'm just still coming to terms with it and what my plans are going to be. So uh, I can't imagine. I mean, there's plenty of stores out there that are probably scratching their heads thinking, what do we do with this? So what's the response been from, from customers so far about it? But I know you put out a video, you like to talk to your, your customers on a weekly yeah, well, basis to try to help them out with what's going on right now. Um, I mean, there's a handful that always kind of hated the whole, I don't want to wait in this like line all night sort of thing. And so this is really like their time to shine. <laughs> but in, in one sense, uh, you know, it's, I see a lot of negative talk about this and it's mainly people just kind of complaining about, well, of course I'm going to want more than just like, one or two things on the list so now i gotta come two times or three times and and uh, wait in some kind of line or whatever you know and i i kind of see their point a little bit yeah. so i don't know it's you can't please everybody we're in a kind of a situation where there's just no way to win that's so, so true it's yeah. so true yeah and and does it get like you know it, it kind of mentally exhausting any when you look at the news and it moves and it moves and it moves, does it kind of, does the luster wear off a little bit even, you know, on this day that it's an awesome day, but you know, do, do you feel that in a sense? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, when people are sort of worried about their health and their livelihood and, you know, their loved ones and all that, does it seem like, are we just going through the motions here to do this to kind of like, uh, you know, just put some energy out there and say, yeah, we're above all that and let, you know, let's have a good time. And really there's a lot of sort of like negativity going on in the world. So, um, I, I don't know. There's a lot of talk about getting back to normal ways of doing things and all. And I think that's great, but I sort of am like, as a business owner, I'm very like cautious about what I'm going to do with my ordering because right. I don't want to yeah. like, I don't want to go too light because I don't want to run out of things if I have a good response. I don't want to go too heavy because, oh, well, then what do I do? And now I've got two more coming up, three, you know, and I've already placed orders. Am I going to have to, like, completely rethink that? How are things going to sell online? Is it going to be, like, maybe not a huge response in the store, but then a right. big online response later? I, I really don't. No, there's so many variables. We have no precedent for this, and yeah. and also we could be in lockdown again for all we know. Well, and and you know we're at, we're at 3.8 million jobless in Pennsylvania alone right now. So right, 
economic like, concerns. And let's not forget, there's also a presidential election that's going right. to be going on. And every time there's a, an election year, it's always kind of rocky for retail because people's attention is all turned elsewhere. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I really don't know what's... what's this going. has got to be crazy for you. We got those new numbers coming out. Um, is it the unemployment numbers for last month of this Friday, I think, right? Yes. So it's like all eyes are on that. I mean, geez, you know. Oh, I'm afraid to see it. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's going to be painful. Well, you, you want to have customers. You want to have people that can come in with some disposable income and continue collecting and continue to do what they do. But if it, if it comes down to putting money on the, you know, I mean, not money, but food on the table and, and buying the latest Pearl Jam, most people are going to pick well, and in that the, sense, the Pearl Jam. It up into three different events is a good thing, right? Because it spaces it out. It's not yeah. such an outlay of finances. You don't have to re refinance your house to do that one day now. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but you know, there's a trade off. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. It was very tough looking at my numbers at the end of April, and I thought, well, you know. I feel like I've done sort of okay, and then I kind of thought, yeah, it's kind of like a month that I had maybe when I first opened the store several years ago. Yeah. Just kind of a slow month, you know? But then when I actually looked at the number, I was like, well, you know, losing record store day for me is like losing more than an entire month. Oh, my gosh. On top of, like, you know, what I sort of would normally do. So it's, um, it's a lot of ground to make up. Yeah. Are you, and, are, you uh, are you comfortable talking about how much you lost or Well, I mean it's in the thousands and it's it's in double digits. So wow. um <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> that stinks, dude. And, and there's no way to I mean obviously there's there's no way to plan for that cuz you don't know how long this is going to you know, we don't know how long this is going to go on, so there's no way to really Plan well, and they to really want to sell the product, obviously. It's all been made. It's all sitting in a warehouse collecting yeah. dust. Right. So they have to figure ways to get it out there. I was kind of surprised, though, when the person I talked to at the record company said, yeah, they're still thinking about doing Black Friday because I thought, well, they're going to have to be deciding what they're manufacturing for it now. They're going to have to be making it over the summer yeah. while it's competing with all the other stuff that's been bumped from the rest of the yeah. year. You've yeah. got plants that might be closing down or having fewer people working in them because of social distancing and whatever. Right. right. So there's so many kind of concerns i almost look at the meat industry what's going on there, yeah mm -hmm. and i'm starting to kind of see a trickle down in my business just because as i'm trying to keep orders and fulfilling things for people i'm noticing that certain staple kind of records are disappearing because right. they just mm. can't make them everyone's at home buying online bored and there's nobody in the plants making the replacement stuff. So. Yeah, you, you mentioned that, like, uh, like Pink Floyd, right? Was it The Wall or one of those I think you mentioned last yeah. time? Like those yeah, indicator big, albums. There's some big ones. Dark yeah. Side. Dark Side, yeah. I just saw some, like, Talking Heads. I had sent out one the other day, and it turned out it was defective. And so now I'm trying to get a replacement for the person, and they don't have any left at the factory. So. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> Well, yeah, and well, I wonder, you know. I wonder how much of this too. Like once they, and I'm looking ahead to you know when things do 
um, kind of get back into motion again, but there's, there's going to be a lag, right? I mean, I don't know the whole, you got a whole industry that's going to have to pick itself up bit by bit. And that could take a long time too. That's not going to start right back. Right. Up again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like you just survived a car, car crash and you have to learn how to walk again or something. Yeah. That's a good analogy. Dude. It is. Yeah. What, Devastating. Uh, are you, uh, excited at least about some of the stuff that's going to get put out or you don't know or is it the same stuff as as the so apparently there's gonna i don't know they've said a few things might drop off the list and then they may add new things they right. were saying that when it was supposed to be june and so yeah pushing it back several months i would think maybe even more i don't really know i don't know what they're gonna save for black friday and then apparently I know in the UK, there are a few artists over there, like more independent ones that were like, we're just going to take ownership of this and take it off the list and sell it ourselves through the website. Yeah, that's now, I feel like that's sort of like you're forgetting what the purpose of all of this was about. I know you want to sell your stuff, but that's um, crappy. Yeah. Yeah. Consider- I won't name names because <laughs> bands that I sort of like sometimes, but you know, it's just yeah. uh it, I think that they're sort of feeling they're got to be feeling a pinch too, but right. uh, yeah, I don't know. Be so patient. Everybody's uh, panicking, sort of, is what's what it sounds like in a way. Yes. And they just want to make sure that they get paid, which I completely understand. But at the same time, you... well, and it's it funny because uh, I've been talking with some of my friends at other record stores in the area and asking them you know what's what's going on with them and it's kind of like we're all sort of feeling the same issues all of a sudden i was sort of like thrown into being an online seller so i spend most of my time boxing and shipping and tracking and dealing with all this issue that i never had to do before and i'm grateful for having something and grateful for income there but it's just a whole other like set of headaches that you you start looking at it and you go, this is why I never really wanted to get into this as like my main source. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I did it for year years and uh, it's it's a lot of work. It's not just something you uh, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna start selling online today. I, it's yep. there's a lot of work. You got to make sure your customers are happy. You got to make sure your rating is is, is nice. Mm-hmm. You know. Otherwise, yep. And that's the way it became. So everybody, I mean, I have sold to so many people too, who are all like first time buyers. You oh, can geez. just tell. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's, uh, it's part for the course, right? It's the nature yeah. of the game now. Yeah. That's what so. it is. Hey, Jason, I was wondering when you, when you talk to the suppliers or the, you know, when you, you do the orders, I mean, can you hear sort of the stress in their voices? I mean, can you feel like, Oh my God, you know, tell me, <laughs> tell me about that. Like, well, I mean, I just, when I was talking to this guy yesterday, he told me that their um, warehouse had actually had f- four positive cases. And he said, you don't, you didn't know that we were closed for a day? And I said, oh, I, I had no idea. And he said, oh, oh, he's, uh, it was a weekend, so you might not have known. But he said, you know, there's this whole, like, scramble. So now they, you know, take everyone's temperature when they come in and such. And it's sort of like how I feel when, boxes come to my shop Mm. and i'm like so careful dealing with this stuff now i i open it out on the sidewalk with gloves and and sanitizer and i lift the product out wipe it down 
before I bring it in. And I don't even, the boxes don't even come into my store, mm. but that's sort of like, you know, the kind of thing that I can't even imagine dealing with in a giant warehouse. Oh my God. Situation. Yeah. Oh. And, you know, he also said that, um, a lot of their hours as employees were cut. Uh, they were talking about layoffs and then eventually what they decided to do was just cut everybody's hours down. So everybody's still working, but they're not working as much, maybe 50 yeah. or 60% of what they were. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, then they get the stress of having, when they do get orders, it all tends to be all at once. Like everybody wants orders on Monday because they're like, Oh gosh, I need something for the week. And then he said, you know, by Thursday, Friday, it's like crickets. So yeah, it's, uh, I think it's hard on there. It's hard for everybody. So yeah, but that's a good question. <laughs> you have a, do you have a, any releases that piqued your interest that you saw that are coming out that you, you know are going to do well or for like the record store days in particular? Yeah. Like for the first one in August, is there something that well, this is another good question because I can't really tell you what's coming. I, I mean, I knew what was on the original list. Oh, for um, but they haven't actually made these lists public yet. So, oh, geez, that's a, that's a killer. Oh, that's that, like, you know, that's it. I, yeah, <laughs> that's almost insult list, to injury, right? I mean, the first list will be coming out June first. So the second will probably be July first, and then the mm. third August first. Well, so I guess I'm supposed to do all of these orders, and then and then I have my first record store day drop. Well, what if it's a complete fiasco, and then I have to like change all of the orders from the other two right. that were submitted? Right. I I have no idea how that's going to work. So Ugh, what a mess! It's basically just taking the one big one and spreading it out. But uh, and then, well, I, I yeah. guess there's the possibility. There's two things. Like it could be. If that that first list is kind of you know lame or not so good, then there's like you know it's a letdown, right? But then if it's something crazy, then you got you got to go through the mad dash of like right. you said the fiasco. I guess is that kind of like it, either way it could be. Yes, and if dicey. you ask the people at Record Store Day, well, what if the first list is lame or weak or something like that? They'll say we don't have any lame or weak lists, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I think there's always some that are better than others, but That's there's what always I mean. yeah, something yeah. worthwhile on there, too, so it's not like a complete waste. Right, but... okay. <laughs> well, the thing I'm excited about, Jason, I, I'm sure that you're excited about is the, I hope it's still on the list, is the Robert Goulet Christmas record. Oh, well, with it's the mint... got your name all over it. But it has a mint, it's a mint jelly, it's a mint jelly uh, flavored vinyl. You can actually oh eat the gosh. vinyl. Oh my God, really? Wow. Are yeah. you making reference to the fact that there might be some kind of like silly boutique pieces on that list? Or <laughs> no, not at all. No, I, I always enjoy the, well, the Flaming Lips always put this stuff out and it's like, it's next to impossible to get a hold of. Oh my God. Unless you have gotten a hold of some of them and just never told me, but. I, the stuff's like, like, then they do a Stone Roses cover album or something like that. And it was like limited. I think they, well, they've done others for sure. But. Yeah, they did like a thousand copies and they're, they're signed in blood and stuff. And now, you know, last year they put out the uh, the Fight album that was the Judas Priest or the Rob Halford oh, yeah. thing. And this yeah. year they're putting out the second one, I think. So that might be something of note. Yeah, yeah that was cool. Know. Yeah, that project. That was awesome. I think the second one's better than the first one, actually. Yeah. If I can remember so, correctly. 
I, I, if you look, if you look down the list of what was supposed to come out in in April, yeah. I would assume most of that would still be on there. So I thought it was a very solid list, actually, if I can remember correctly. It was. Well, there was more on it that appealed to you. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Besides the Goulet thing, I mean, there's there were so many other things. Yeah. But they're going deep, catalog deep. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time, but yeah. Well. I, I always, know you've been waiting. <laughs> I always found the silliness in their, uh, they were sort of tone deaf with what people wanted, I thought, for a little while there. And, uh, like, you'd get a copy, like, one, was it one year they, they reissued Scarecrow from John Cougar Mellencamp oh, wow. as one of the releases. Now, it's a great album, but... It's probably one of the easiest records to find. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, yeah. What are you trying to say, Shane? <laughs> well, what I'm trying to say is they, they should make the, the stuff that's really, really hard to find right. available. I agree. And the, I think that they've gotten better about that generally, too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because all the stuff that was you know supposed to come out in the spring that got bumped into the summer, now it's like all that stuff plus the stuff that was planned to come out in the fall is all going to be competing with this record store day stuff. Yeah, so Ace, Ace Fraley's pushback, right? Layers. Yeah. Well, yeah. then you got things that probably won't sell because they'll get lost or right. buried or whatever. So, I don't know. Well, yeah. I'm, ex I'm excited for you anyway. I, I'm hoping that it's a big, you have four big days this year instead of just two. Um, well, I I'm just trying to be optimistic. Some, uh, some uh, masks that make me look like a futuristic beekeeper so I can deal with customers. So. That's, that's great. I'm did looking forward to rocking that. <laughs> did, you, did you wear your headphone mask yet? <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, people are getting creative with them. They're getting getting creative with the designs. <laughs> I was told I could wear sunglasses underneath it, so, I mean, that might be a better look. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't know. Thank yeah. you for with customers will be different. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on, man. And uh, we're gonna stay in touch with you, dude. Yeah, Find out what right. is going on. I'm keeping the faith. Jay Sonic is what we call him, and yes, uh, he never disappoints as far no, as uh, insight. And, Jason uh, is uh, Jason is the man. Yep, he really is. And uh, anything bad I've said about him before, I take back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, he's great. There's so much uh, other stuff going on this uh, this week, uh, in the past week, uh, yeah. on, on many fronts. And What are some of those things, Dave? Yeah, we, we got some developing news. This just dropped from Billboard.com 32 minutes ago. Several more concert, uh, concerts, uh, tours mm. that have been canceled. Journey canceling their 2020 tour. This is on. Uh, this was announced actually today, and this is on uh, Billboard.com. They were set to hit arenas around North America with the Pretenders, uh, which I actually thought this started later. I forgot this that this tour yeah. was supposed to start. So I early. thought this is an odd tour to begin with. But. Yeah, a little weird. I mean, they did the one with Def Leppard before. I mean, they you know Journey did as well, especially with pairing. Uh, but it's you not know, really Journey but, at this point. It's no, Neil it's, and his, it's, his roadie. It's, it's, ne <laughs> 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 it's <laughs> Neil and Jonathan Kane yeah. and uh, Arno. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> well, it is Neil's band. I mean, that's I know it is. No, I know. You're right. And um, it, it's, uh, it, which raises a lot of other, you know, it's like, you know, you don't have the rhythm, the classic rhythm section. There's a big lawsuit and a whole thing about a production company and allegations that the band was trying to, that um, Steve Smith, the drummer, and Ross Valerie, the bass player, were trying to take over yeah. the band um, name, essentially. But so they're out. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, they, um, they're canceled. Uh, this, they said in a statement, um, there is no greater thrill for us than playing for our incredibly devoted audience, but their safety must come first, Journey said in a statement. Dave Matthews Band has moved their summer 2020 tour dates to 2021. Um, quote, we make this decision with the health, safety, and well-being of our fans, touring, crew, and venue staff as our priority, DMB said in a statement. So you can go to their websites to find out more. Uh, for our friends in Canada, we were just listening to Triumph. Yeah. Uh, Canadian Music Week will skip the Toronto Music Conference and Festival's 2020 edition uh, due to overriding concern for the safety of all participants. Uh, the event had already been postponed from May 19 uh, to 23 uh, when the coronavirus pandemic hit in March and was rescheduled for September 9 through, through 11. Um, so, yeah, they're moving that back. That sucks. Uh, for them, I mean, um, and the, so much. I know. And the Lumineers are they rock and roll? Or are they more pop? Who the Lumineers? I think Lumineers they're are uh, they're kind of a folky okay. rock, rock band. Okay. Pop they um, they've canceled all of their May and June tour dates. Like all of you, we have been closely monitoring the ongoing global pandemic. We are deeply disappointed to announce the cancellation of all of our May and June tour dates. Uh, the band said in a statement. So. Really it, sad stuff. It just goes on and on, folks. And yeah, I mean, really uh, uh, can't uh, can't. It's hard to get a handle around how much our world is changing around. Yeah, uh, month to month, week to week. And then and you st you sort of think, okay, well, we can't see them on tour. Maybe I can listen to the new record. Well, not really, depending on the artist, because those are pushed back. We said, yeah, Deep Purple's Whoosh, right? Yep, that's pushed back. Um, Ace Frehley's Origins Volume 2, I want to say it is. Well, they don't have anybody to make this right. stuff. Right, that's the thing. That's exactly it. The Stones, yeah. uh, they had some half-speed Abbey Road remastered records that were supposed to oh be out gosh. next month. And oh. they're, I don't even know where, they're in August or something now. I know. And then you have the Record Store Day stuff, as Jason was saying, yeah. uh, being moved back to August for the earliest. Um, it stinks, yeah. Had an opportunity... Uh, on, a, on a positive note, um, I had an opportunity last week to spend some time with uh, Craig Kaplan of Hashtag Media and uh, Schoolie D. Oh yeah, that's right. And uh, it was it was a, it was a ride. It was a lot of fun. Um, they had a really uh, really cool festival. They tried to do um, online over the weekend. It was Friday. Yep. Saturday and Sunday, all different genres and different days. It was called uh, With Love from Philly. Mm -hmm. uh, with all the money going to the artists and uh, promoters to try to get uh, some food on their tables. Yeah. And I thought it was a really, uh, really great concept. I got to catch a little of it. It was streaming all, all weekend long. Did you uh, get to see it or donate or anything? I, I saw uh, some bits and pieces of it. It was really cool. Especially yeah. the Schoolie D freestyle you sent me, you know, to some Hendrix. Uh, and he's a legend. He's a local legend in the Philly area. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 Looking at my, you yeah. know, I'm not getting into it, but I don't want to sample Schoolie. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to deal with that. No, but. he seemed like a really cool guy, and it goes back to the old, the classic days. There's so much talent from way back when, you know, and, um, but it was really cool to, to see him uh, jam over, um, is it nonstop traffic? The, the, the traffic. Crosstown traffic. Crosstown yeah. traffic. That's it from the Hendrix. Uh, by he, Hendrix was, yeah. he had a really, really wicked uh, mix made up. Um, he had a 15-minute set, and wow. he was he was he was demoing some stuff for a friend of, and uh, myself, and we got to uh, talk to uh, Craig, and we got to talk to Schoolie about the whole event. I'd like to get in touch with them and 
talk to them uh, about how it went over and mm -hmm. some other stuff yeah, in, the, we'll in the weeks to come. But uh, Philly's trying to look out for their artists right now, yep. and I, you gotta I gotta say it's it, it was really really unique. You know, I'm sure other cities are doing this too, but Philly's got some really good artists. Yeah, you know, they had War on Drugs, Kurt Vile. Oh yeah, um, the um, boy, some of the other groups. Um, there's that group that you said sounds like kind of Tom Petty, but indie. Was that War on Drugs? Yeah, no, that's that was, War on Drugs. They're really good. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. they had um, hundred over a hundred different performing artists. Yeah, Christian so cool. McBride, um, all kinds of jazz artists. Uh, I'm oh, not sure a bass if Jill player, Scott was in it or um, not. There's a guy who plays bass. Um, I looked him up. I'm bad with names right now. <laughs> but uh, but no, it was really cool. There's a guy, he, um, I think he had a whole ensemble, a whole group with him. Um, you know, Philly, one of the things, I moved to the city about 10 years ago. One of the things I love about Philly is just the the great music tradition. Um, but not only that, but the way people care for each other, you know, and really, yeah. really connect. And this was it, you know. Yep. Um, John Oates. John Oates, yeah. Philadelphia Freeway, G-Love. Uh, Robbie Grote of the District's Main Man Man, who uh, just has an album out, yeah. Mondo Cosmo. Uh, Eric Brazilian of the Hooters. Yep. Yeah. Uh, our man, Schooly D. Mark Brownstein from Disco Biscuits. Uh, <laughs> Nick, Nick Bockrath of, of Cage the Elephant. And Katie Schechter. Um, Ursula Rocker, great street poet, musician. Uh, she did a lot of stuff on the K7 label. Fantastic artist. I really like her. Mm. Uh, Kevin Eubanks, the old uh, guitarist for yeah. for Jay Leno, mm -hmm. um, Joey DeFrancesco. Uh, it just goes on. It's just hundred, uh, at least a hundred artists there. Tom Hamilton. Yep. Aerosmith. Yeah. yeah Low Cut Connie. Cosmo Baker. What was he doing solo? I don't Tom know. Hamilton. They just punched from uh, huh. artist to artist and wow. And just uh, yeah. It, Everyone had a set. Some was pre-taped. Some wasn't. Some was live. It's amazing. And just just a really cool idea. Yeah, it really yeah. was. That's awesome. I, yeah. I've seen Kurt Vile a couple times. Uh, just a fantastic artist. Wow, I gotta look that up. Oh, that's uh, so cool. He had top billing on this. So nice. Wowza. Good stuff. Times right. have changed. I've... Yeah, I mean that's the way they're doing these things. That these shows now, you know, and um, you know, I mean. You miss the it, it, the cool thing is it's accessible for everybody. You know what I yeah. mean? And I mean, you kind of you hate it when shows go on sale and you get you know the only tickets left are like the not so good ones or whatever. You know, right. and they had a second date and then you know if you're not fast enough, <laughs> you know, yeah. or you have to pay an arm and a leg <laughs> to get up to uh, you know the front row. But you know here it's like everybody has the same seat. You yep. know, maybe you have a bigger monitor that's you know whatever you know or maybe a phone or a 55 inch TV, but. Um, but everyone has pretty much the same seat, so I guess that's one good thing about it, you know. Is it me or like when I'm at home, like I I, I have like a ten second uh, attention span? Is that how you are? I, uh, I mean, how do you mean? Like I'll just I'll I'll start reading a book mm -hmm. and I'll be immediately derailed almost and distracted and onto something else oh yeah that that and then I'm yeah, on, at I'm, night and i'm usually. playing my ipad and i'm yep. starting to listen to a song and i listen to about 30 seconds and yeah I, <laughs> I read a book and then yeah and, and, then I go and, something and all of a sudden i'm reading an article yeah and uh it's trying just, to catch up on the rest of the world yeah it's i don't know if it's boredom i don't know if it's uh it, it's probably trying to find a rhythm you know because i guess when you're at work you're at work but maybe 
when you're not, it's sort of, it's just, for me, it's like trying to find a new uh, evening rhythm, I guess, you know? Yeah, I, do, I, I just feel I like a very anxious and very distracted is yeah. what, what I, way I would describe mm -hmm. my, uh, my ability to be able to enjoy stuff has been diminished. Mm. <laughs> I don't know about you. I can, I can watch shows on TV, mm -hmm. uh, and my son and I, we've jammed out a couple times. But I just kind of feel like um, just sitting and yeah, like headphones on and listen to a record. I can't do right now. Yeah, I feel like it's everything because it's the old world. For me, it reminds me of like the world before the virus hit. You know, yeah. and even even like a stand-up comedy show or anything. It's like you know, I'll watch a movie and I'll laugh for a minute, and then I think, gosh, you know, this was like the old day. You know what I right. mean? It's it's weird because it it feels like something from the past you know yep. like um it's it's reaching for anything that is the old normal but when you you know and, and you you kind of take your mind off of it but it comes back i think right. at least for me yeah I, that's kind of what i've gone through yeah uh there's something real interesting i i'm trying to see if this is a it looks like it uh yes you'll get a kick out of this okay. um <clears throat> We saw the Misfits, you know, uh, mm -hmm. a few months ago. Um, along with the Misfits and that whole scene, uh, we also had uh, Minor Threat. We had Bad Brains. Mm -hmm. We had uh, Kraut from New York. We had a, we had a ton of bands all coming out at the same time. Um, if you're a punk fan, which I, I'm a big punk fan, and this is kind of like the Warner Brothers of of the punk labels, uh, Discord Records out of DC. Uh, They've done this for a while, but uh, they did this before, I think, or they had something. I don't know if it was concerts or whatever listed. But uh, somebody just wrote an article on boingboing.net and uh, brought up, did you know that the entire 40-year catalog of the punk, punk rock label of note, Discord, is available on Bandcamp for free streaming? Really? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't While know free, they're hoping listeners will download the music to support the artist, but... They have all their sale. They're waiving all their fail sales fees on certain days, on this month, so that all the money will go directly to the artists. Wow. Okay. The first of these days so far this year was May first. Uh, that was on Friday. They put everything online. Wow. Yeah, and Bandcamp uh, will keep the initiative going, and they'll also repeat on June fifth and July third, and will last from twelve a.m. to eleven fifty-nine p.m. Hmm. Pacific Central Time on all all three days wow. so um yeah they they don't uh, discord when they formed they didn't have lawyers they didn't have any of that they just had a label right and they recorded the stuff and ian one of the owners of the label um basically it was like if you want your tapes and you want them we'll give them to you we're not gonna wow okay how about that so, that never yeah. happens yeah and they always tried to give them he was always up front about giving them their cut mm. they wanted to avoid all the BS that right. comes along with big labels. Mm. So they were able to do this. Cutting the red tape big time, man. So you got 40 years of music to listen to on uh, Bandcamp for nothing. That's cool. It's <laughs> so a right. lot of good punk. Yeah, it's cool. You're the punk guy. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. It's so cool. uh, right. I, f I figured I'd share that while we were, yeah, enough. We were talking that. about that stuff. But um, cool. even though it had nothing to do with what we were talking about. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, that's a live show. <laughs> but so no, I, yeah. the reason I was going on here and I got sidetracked was... 
LA Times wrote an article about this. Mm. You posted that I, I and I got to, I meant to read it and I got distracted. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. That's what I'm saying. I, I know. I, I, I meant to. I, I know. I haven't even had time to sit down and read this yeah. article. And that's exactly what. Um, but it, it goes on, and this is from the Los Angeles Times over the weekend. It said, "What's your favorite album? When was the last time you listened? Actually listened to that album from start to finish, with intention, like you're watching a movie or reading a novel. Clear your schedule for the next three hours." Choose three full albums, whether from your collection or your streaming service of choice. Put them in an ordered queue as though you were programming a triple feature. Because, listen, musicians spend years making their albums. They struggle over syllables, melodies, bridges, mm -hmm. rhythms, with the same intensity with which you compare notes on the Forensic Files reboot, loot corpses in Fortnite, or pound Cabernet during pandemics. And it just goes on basically mm. to talk about how we are half-assed when it comes to listening to records. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what we were talking about. I, I, I didn't mean to get on to that, but I just no, I'm glad you did because uh, that's a that's a great piece. And I, I've always wondered that too. I mean, I you know growing up, I, I'd listen to music and I'd think, okay, you know, what does a producer do? And then I'd say, okay, the producer wrote or. You know, how does this fit in? Or, you know, I'd, I'd listen and I'd hear this guitar track. And then I'd go back and I'd say, I, I'm hearing some, something I didn't hear before. <laughs> um, you know, why do they put this in there? Why do they put that? Why do they, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I do um, appreciate that because it's, there's so many nuances to music that we don't think about. I mean, Nickelback's not really a popular group, but I remember one song they did, Chad, the singer said there were like a hundred tracks on there. Yeah. And I didn't hear it at first. I said, I right. probably hear like maybe six or seven, you know, <laughs> but they're in there. Yeah. And, you know, they, they do compression and they stack things up on top of each other. The other thing is Roth and this kind of, you know, speak, speaking of uh, Van Halen and the uh, Van Halen, uh, you know, Dr. Greg Renoff part three coming up in a second. Um, David Lee Roth said he told, I think it was uh, maybe Joe Rogan. It was, he said something where um, in those early days, those producers would take, you'd sing the same song like a hundred times and the producer would take the third word from this, the third verse that you did the seventh time and then complete that sentence with the 10th time you did it. Or, you know what I mean? Like you, they, you, sure. they, and, and so producers, why, you know, what makes them kind of, you know, pick and choose and put all that together and then working with the artists, you know, cause they don't just do one run through, no. you know? So it's a whole art. It's a whole process. Um, Beth by Kiss, you know, Paul Stanley wrote in his book that um, part of it was they were having trouble with Peter Chris getting to sing, you know, consistently. But that was cobbled together. It sounds like one fluid song, but it was right. cobbled together from all these different takes. And you wouldn't wow. think about that. No, you wouldn't. And maybe that's one of the reasons why bands have to go back and relearn this stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, they have to actually learn the songs yeah. that are on their album. Before they even rehearse for a tour. You That's know? what um, the Edge commonly has to go back. You know? Yeah. Because he has no no recollection of what effect he used or yeah. this, that, and the other. Yeah. And, and it's like almost he has to refine his sound yep. in the studio rehearsing for the live tours. Yeah. It's kind of funny. It, it is. It, and, and imagine, because you're right, I mean, with all those effects, um, you know, you have to be... the. Imagine being the guitar tech who has to keep all that programmed. You know? Yeah. Rick Allen from Def Leppard, his kit has, they, they have different patches they run through, different like loop phrases and, and things <laughs> like that. There's a whole guy that has to do all that right. and plug that in. But imagine if you're him, 
Yeah, he's got to remember which drum. The same pad that he hits for, you know, a, a floor tom can give right. you a bass drum. Right. Can give you, you know, maybe an extra hi hat. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like his kit's changing, based based on the songs. Song to song. You know? Yeah. So I, maybe that's a little different, but no, but um, it's absolutely the same because, mm. like, in the sense of, you know how like when you, I don't know, you, let's say you take notes or something on your phone. Yep. Mm -hmm. And three months later, six months later, you're like, I know I, I wrote that down. And you go, yeah. and you, you don't know if it's in your, you don't know if you left it in your email. You yep. don't know if you left it on a message to somebody. I just did this today. Or you don't know if it's in your notes. Yeah, and right. I, I found it on a, a message I sent sent somebody back in October. But mm. I knew that I saved it. I just right. didn't know where. where can right. you imagine doing <laughs> that stuff with, with effects? Right. And on an effects bank that has 20 pedals. Yeah, right. Can't can't even fathom. I know I can't that kind I mean, of stuff. Yeah, and I, I that? guess that's why you have technicians that remember it for you. But and shoegaze has got to be even worse. Oh yeah, because that's all. I mean, not worse, but I mean like more challenging. Yeah, it's like a complete. Yeah, there's just a whole bank, a wash, the whole yeah. sound, yeah, and feel of of the songs have to be perfect. You I'd, know? I'd love to hear from a producer, and we got to get a producer, and then we also have to get like a. Like a tech, you know, get some of these guys who who tech for these bands, and yeah, you know, they they ha they have that bank of all those effects, and I guess it's all computerized. It's like it's it's to the point of like a light show is all computerized. You know, like when they play a certain track, a certain light will do this, a certain effect, but still somebody has to program that. Yeah, it do, the computers don't. Well, I guess they, maybe they do program themselves, but well, no, people have to do that. And so, the, how do you you know? And and that that yeah, that's fascinating stuff. We're going to find out how Ted Templeman did it yeah. with this interview with Greg, and then we're going to be back, and we're going to talk about some more about, about yep. this. This is a great topic. Yeah, and, and what uh, what uh, Greg's going to talk about here is um, the, the tension that, um, you know, that sort of inner tension that uh, Greg, that Ted felt, you know, he was close to Sammy, he's close yeah. to the Van Halens, the Roth, but what he thought of Sammy being in that band and yep. Dave leaving. That's a, that's a crazy time. It was a... Uh, they had that whole other thing going on there for they had a whole, whole other uh, record they were going to work on. Yeah, after nineteen eighty four, right? Yeah, that's what yeah. we were talking about last week. Yeah, that's right. So, so here's Greg. I think the way Ted phrased it to me was that when Ed was building the studio in uh, nineteen eighty two into nineteen eighty three with Don Landy, Ted was actually extremely enthusiastic about it. He knew that Ed had been making, largely been doing demos on a little four-track recorder in the house there with Valerie. You know, that's how he would record his his, um, his demos. And, you know, that wasn't the most um, practical way to make those types of demos. And so the idea of having a recording studio in the backyard, Ted thought, oh, this is great. Now, when Ed has an idea, he can go out there and those guys can rehearse out there. But for Ted, he always thought, well, well of course we're going to record at Sunset Sound. Of course we're going to record at some other big studio in town because – that's what big bands do. They go to the, you know, the Rolling Stones when they want to record in L.A., they go to Sunset Sound. The Beach Boys, right. Led Zeppelin, they go to Sunset Sound. And so Ted was actually, uh, you know, uh, up there numerous times while it was being built, talking to Ed, saying, like, it's going to be great. You know, it's kind of he's showing it off. I mean, Ed was very proud of it. And Ted was Ted was um, was extremely uh, on board with the idea. But then sometime in, in early 1983, those guys approached him, meaning probably Alex, Eddie, and Don Landy, and said, let's make the record up here. And Ted was kind of taken aback by that, going, well, wait a minute. You know, I don't know. This place is small. We can't have a normal drum set up here. There's all sorts of things that felt 
that felt um, uneasy to Ted as the producer of this record. And so the other thing being that Ted really tried to articulate to me was that he goes, it wasn't that I didn't necessarily think the studio sounded good. He said, actually, I think it sounds amazing. It was an incredible room that, that Don built. I mean, he talked about how, how Don Lanny is a, you know, a musical genius in a lot of ways in terms of the way he engineered these records, but he also is this guy who was like technically able to like wire up the studio and like get this incredible, you know, basically turn a racquetball court into this, this top world class recording studio. It's incredible. But he was worried, not just because of Ed, anybody. He said he had been to a lot of home studios in the seventies. Like, you know, you'd go by and like, you know, you go check on X musician and you go to their house and they had have a home studio and you listen to what they've been doing and they hadn't really got that much done because it's, it's your house. He's like, it's like, working. Right. we all know that from the COVID. <laughs> exactly. You're like working at work, home. Yeah, work. Exactly. That's tough. <laughs> right. And, and, for, yeah. and for Ted, Ted was always focused on as much as possible, of course, as an executive going, I need to make the records in a timely fashion. And that's good for the company to get the records out quickly, but it's also good for the bands because you don't want to run up, you know, again, Fleetwood Mac, all these other bands aside, you know, Fleetwood Mac could spend a year in the studio because they sold 20 million copies of Rumors. I guess it works out. But from Ted's perspective, you know, you want to spend the, the minimal amount of time in the studio. For him, knowing that you're doing an album, it's, and this goes for any, any producer, you're doing an album at Sunset Sound, there's another band coming in, right? Um, the Rolling Stones have the place booked in two weeks. You can't spend the next six months at Sunset Sound, and you don't want to move. So there's sort of like a built-in deadline going, okay, we're rehearsed, we know the songs, we're going to knock down, like they did for the first record. We're going to do Atomic Punk today. We'll do Ain't Talking About Love and Jamie's Crying Tomorrow. And you just move through it, bang, 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 master release it. And so that was the thing that Ted had apprehension about going. It's it's right there. You have an open-ended ability to create. Now, Ted would tell told me and would tell you or tell anybody that he knows that, for example, Jump, Probably would come out the way it did, and as great as it did, came out. Because Don, Ted, and Ed, particularly at first, and then of course later on, more Don and Ed, as, as they were sort of holding themselves up and finishing the record, spent an enormous amount of time tinkering with it, just sort of playing with it, like you know, adding, let's cut the guitar solo this way, let's do this, let's change this part. They, there were, you know, they went through a lot of evolution, even though they kind of got the basics down of it pretty quickly. There was a lot of work on it. And Ted kind of, you know, Ted would tell you, like, I'm not sure it would sound and would be the same anthem, anthem necessarily if it was done quickly in the studio because it just was a different type of song. So he recognizes there's a lot of that stuff that um, Don and Ted, uh, excuse me, Don and Ed maybe in the middle of the night recorded stuff and the sort of like genius stuff that Ted come in with the next day and go, wow, this is amazing. Um, but on the other hand, you know, that was what the pro- for him – it didn't feel comfortable. You couldn't have a normal drum set up there because it actually was not big enough to have a, a full drum kit that you could mic. The room was too small at the time. So for all those types of things, it made it unsettling for Ted, and that was part of the reason why he was just apprehensive about 5150. I mean, he would, but he would tell you it's an incredible studio. Don Landy was, did this amazing job building this thing out of like you know cinder block this, this <laughs> cinder block box into this world class recording studio. Um, in somebody's backyard, he was just, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah. Um, I, I have just a few more questions, if that's all right. Um, I, sure. I was moving into, um, you know, obviously, uh, Roth leaving the band, uh, and I think it was about 85 and Sammy coming in. Um, there was a story out there. I think Sammy maybe wrote about this in his book, um, where he said that Ted, 
or somebody had the discussion of, of Sammy joining Van Halen way early back, like in the beginning. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, what was your, your take on that? When Sammy wrote that in his book, Red, I was just like, this is a, there's a million questions I have about this. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually something that Ted told me back in 2014. So how the story goes is that when Ted first heard Dave sing in the studio, when they did the demo for the Warner Brothers demo in uh, April 77, this would have been just weeks after Van Halen was signed by Warner Brothers, Ted was actually like, I don't know if this is going to work. Kind of that moment where he was worried about Dave's voice. You know, there's some things he's trying to sing. He just can't really sing these, these melodies, and there's just – he's doing things that he shouldn't do, and Ted was worried. So Ted mulled over the idea of, of perhaps approaching those guys and saying, okay, if you get rid of Dave, we could get Sammy Hagar maybe. Now, Ted's recollection of this was that the only person he probably told about this was Don Landy kind of quietly off to the side. Um, you know, I personally find it very hard to believe, and Ted never told me this, that you would approach the other guys, and just in any sense, that you would go, hey, by the way, to any band, we want to get rid of your drummer or your lead singer, and you guys should get another drummer or lead singer, because if they, the guys in the band don't like that idea, it's going to poison the relationship with, with the band, right? Oh, They're yeah. going to be like, who the after is this guy? This guy is going to wreck our band. You know, we're not working with you. So, you know, um, when Ted says, I didn't tell anybody except Don, I, I believe that's that's true. Now, of course, later on, um, those guys got wind of that, and um, yeah, Sammy found out. But yeah, so so uh, yeah, Ted initially toyed with the idea again, thinking like, what if Dave can't do it? Like, what if I just you know I really realized this guy just can't do it. He just can't do it. What are we gonna do? Um, Ted had worked with Sammy on the Montrose record. Don Landy had worked with them as well. They'd done uh, that album back in 1973, and it had been a uh, Obviously, it's a, a foundational hard rock record of the '70s, and he knew how amazing his voice was. And, um, so that was the that was just the uh, the genesis of that story. But again, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Sammy <laughs> Sammy Shadir, you know, it's in the book, and you know, Dave Shadir too is that Ted said if I if I had done that, if I had by some sort of magic wand gotten Dave out of the band and put Sammy in, Ted says in the book, I would have been making the biggest mistake in the history of rock and roll. Because mm-hmm. Van Halen wouldn't have made it without Dave. They just wouldn't have. Right. I mean, that's, that's, Ted's, that's just Ted's, um, you know, opinion on it. And that's how, how strongly yeah. he feels about Dave's contribution of the first record and the, the band in general. No, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I, uh, and, and that kind of leads me to the, my question. Um, when Dave did leave the band, uh, you know, Ted, as not just the producer, but as a record executive for um, Warner Brothers, what, what was going through Ted's mind? I know you kind of get into it, but just your your thoughts and what was happening uh, in Ted's mind when when that all took place. Well, I mean, for me, one of the more interesting things about that about talking to Ted about this is that as a fan, you know, reading a million interviews with the guys in Van Halen and blah blah blah, you would you would get this impression. I mean, I got the impression they would they would say that Ted Ted you know left to be with Dave basically, or they basically Ted took Dave's side, and actually Ted was adamant to me about the fact and was actually got would get very I don't want to say upset but like was very impassioned about saying I never wanted the band to split up all I cared about was trying to keep it together and mm-hmm. when Ted got in the obviously got caught in the middle of that breakup he had been Sammy's producer for VOA the I Can't Drive 55 album he had done Montrose yep. so he worked with Sammy okay he had worked with Dave all the other guys from from Ted's perspective 
he loved Sammy as a vocalist. He loved working with Sammy in the studio. He would say, like, I never had more fun making records than I did with Sammy. He was just a, such an optimistic, great, great guy. Loved Sammy. However, to him, Van Halen were the four guys he signed. And he felt incredibly loyal to that sound and that idea. He said he just could not live with the idea of kind of plugging anybody else in there. And again, it's kind of counterintuitive, I think, because he does love Sammy as a singer. He loved right. Sammy as a person. He like loved making records with Sammy. He always said like he told me, you know, he said Sammy's the type of guy that could have totaled his Ferrari on the way to the studio, and he would come to the studio and be like, "Shit, man, I just crashed my car and wrecked my hundred thousand dollar car." Well, well, fuck it, you know, I'm going to get another car later. Right. You know, and just he said like, he just has this incredible optimistic <laughs> way of working in the world. He said it made he said making records so great with Sammy. It was always so much yeah. fun. So he has no beef with Sammy as a person or a singer, but he said, like, I didn't want anyone else in there. And so it became the sticking point with um, the Van Halen brothers, which I, I can understand. I think Ted understands, too. It was their band from their perspective, and they're like, well, why wouldn't you want to work? You know, why would you be so against this? Because the truth of the matter is that Warner Brothers and eventually the Van Halen brothers kind of came, got resigned to the fact that Ted should produce 5150 because – Ted had worked with Sammy before. He'd worked with Don Landy. He worked, I mean, it was it was kind of like a no-brainer. Um, they wanted Warner Brothers wanted a name producer, meaning the hires up in the company higher than Ted. But then, sort of having those guys uh, on Ted produce the record on their own, they're like, nah, we're not going to let you guys do that. We're, you, know, you need somebody who we can kind of feel more accountable to for whatever reason. And so, um, when Ted decided not to do it, or you know, Eddie and Alex were like, we're absolutely not doing that. How do you want to? You figure out where the, the, the chips fell. Um, Dave and Ted worked together on Dave's record. But, you know, mm-hmm. from Ted's perspective, it was never a matter of, oh, you know, uh, I don't, you know, I don't respect being Alex or whatever. It just see, for him, it was like, he respected the band. It was just that it was, he just couldn't, he couldn't reconcile with it to himself. He just couldn't do it. So it was, it was a very um, unsettling, upsetting thing for Ted. Because, it, you know, it caused for a lot of hard feelings where it just, and he was just trying to say, well, can't you guys all just get along with the band together? And that's what he, he wanted. He wanted Dave to go back to Van Halen. Before, again, at 4150, before any of the other stuff had to happen, he wanted them to put his back together. He tried, but it was obviously that was, you know, nobody yeah. was going to make that be able to work. Well, it's such an interesting perspective because there's, you know, that divide. I mean, you know, you're a Sammy fan or, you know, you know, either it's a Sammy world, it's a Dave world, you know. So it's really interesting to hear that perspective um, from someone who was, you know, with, with Ted, somebody who was there. Um, as everything moved on, kind of 5150, I mean, was Ted kind of watching that from afar? Or you went one to Foreign Local Carnal Knowledge. What was his take on Because uh, uh, was he still with Warner Brothers at that time, Ted? Yeah, he was still, he was still okay. in 1998, so he was, yeah, okay, so, uh, right. Warren Hoffel came out in 90, what, 91 or whatever. Yeah, 91, yep, whatever, yeah. yeah. 91, yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think for him, the interesting thing, too, I think was, was, was actually, again, me as a fan and, and reading stories, you know, you kind of would read these things, oh, well, you know, Eddie and Ted hated each other, and well, whatever, and, and Ted and Don hated each other, and then, you know, then I talked to Don Landy a few times over the course of making, writing this book, just to kind of, you know, ask him some things and yeah, just to help jog memories. I would just then I could go back to Ted and say, Hey, Don, remember this? And he'd go, Oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. And we, you know, we would talk about that for the book, but you know, t- Don Landy told me when before 5150 was done, 
Ed Van Halen and Don Landy went to Ted Temple and saw this. And this would have been again in 1986, down in January. And Ted helped them sequence the record. Basically said, yeah, good enough to be the first song, but the song should be the fifth song. Kind of like, because Ted had done that all the Van Halen records. So they, you know, yeah. for all the sort of like fire and fury that went on with just these different things, Ted did the same thing for OU812. And then um, later on, when uh, Ted did the uh, the second Private Life record with Ed, too, that was kind of a, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, you know, he said, Don did the first one, and then Don um, didn't do the second one with Ed, that Don had left the music industry, if I remember the sequence correctly. He had started to decide to quote-unquote retire from the industry. And uh, so Ted did this in, like, 1990, did a, did an album up to 5150 with, with Ed um, producing. Wow. You know, they, they co-produced it. So, you know, um, for me to kind of hear that stuff and recognize that we're obviously we're bruised egos and sort of rub raw feelings about things that there was, you know, wasn't like perfect harmony, but there was a kind of a professional respect and kind of like, you know, kind of a, a recognition that in the big scheme of things, it's just, just the way things go sometimes, you know, you just get in the mix of, of, of a creative project and there's going to be tension. And so for, to kind of hear all that stuff and be like, oh yeah, actually, you know, that, that there was always for Ted, I mean, Ted always, um, had affection for Ed and always wanted the best for Ed and was actually, you know, was always, would as he would say, always when Ed called, I I came. Like when Ed asked for mm-hmm. something, whatever it was, like Ed said, Hey, would you help produce this record? I'm like, sure. Or when Ed calls him up for um the Forum Awful Corner Laws record and said, Hey, we could use some help finishing this record, Ted Ted went and did it, you know, and just because of his personal um loyalty to Ed and how much he affection he had for the guy. I mean, especially Ed. I mean all the guys in Van Halen, but especially Ed, he just always felt very I don't think it's wrong to say fatherly towards him and just that he was just really no, just love the guy in so many ways, and so would always go to help him whenever he needed help. Around um, sort of the mid '90s, I mean, I remember the VMAs when uh, um, Ruff came out with the band, and everybody went nuts uh, in '96, and that whole thing that was so uh, dramatic. Sammy's out, Dave's back, but then it's not, you know, it's not a full reunion. Um, what did you know? Like you said, Ted knew all these guys. What what was his sense of just the that? incredibly tumultuous period. I mean, here's Kiss doing incredibly well with a reunion, and here's one of the greatest bands in the world, Van Halen, that right. you don't know who's out, you don't know who's in, and Ted knows all these guys, and he must have been bothered by that, I would imagine, to say the least. You know, we didn't, you know, we never actually, it's funny, we never talked about that, um, mm. believe it or not. I never talked to him about that. I mean, one of the things we talked about, one of the last things he did with Van Halen was, interestingly enough, he, one of his jobs as a very high executive at Warner Brothers, but he would have to go to these listening sessions for albums. And, it, you know, for him, in most cases, it was just a matter of kind of going and just sort of making sure there was nothing too off the wall with the record. You know, it's basically like, okay, I went up to hear X artist's album and, okay, like, you know, because, you know, there was sort of like the stamp of approval of the, of the company. Like, basically, the final check for the record was delivered. And he actually went up there for the balance record and he said, of course, it was Bruce Fairbairn and he was like, it was great. And, you know, he said, but, you know, um, for him, that was kind of his last official duty to mm. sort of listen in on the record. And, you know, he said, like, the, you know, you, have, you, have, you sit down, you have a drink, you listen, you ask a couple questions. But with a band like Van Halen, they have a streak of platinum records going, you know, or like he did it with Rod Stewart and a bunch of other big acts. He's like, you're not going to go in and, like, go, like, to Rod Stewart. Like, the third song sucks. You know, right. you know, it's not like that. It's just a matter of just basically doing your due diligence to make sure that nothing's too, like, totally – Anyway, just there's something, something that's going to be really messed up or like, oh, you know, you know, the drum sound is so terrible we can't release this or something for whatever act. But for him, that was his last official um, 
you know, interaction with those guys that he remembered. I mean, again, he may have like bumped into people and stuff like that, but in terms of the, the thing, but, um, yeah, for him, I don't, he, that didn't really, um, that with that didn't come up in the conversation. I think at that point, he probably, he probably was resigned to the fact that it was sure. never going to happen. You know? <laughs> right. Um, and if it did, it was such a blip. I mean, the interesting thing was, I mean, you know, it was such a blip, you know, um, and I, I, I'm guessing, I don't know, this is my supposition that behind the scenes, if Ted knew anything, he probably knew how, lukewarm the brothers were about that whole thing that David sort of gotten out in front of where the brothers were at anyway. So probably knew it was not, not likely to happen. Just knowing um, what I, I suspected was sort of the, that, you know, whatever the brothers were telling to the executives of Warner brothers, it probably was not like, Oh gee, by the way, you know, um, we're ready to, to put this thing back together. But I don't know that for sure. I just, that's my gut, gut because it never really came up in terms of like Ted going, Oh, it was so close that, you know, you know, um, to happening. Mm, okay. Yeah, I was just curious about that because I, I mean, I, I was a kid and I, I kind of got into Van Halen in '91 when when Foreign Waffle came out, and um, and then I got into the old stuff with the Best of album when that came out. I said, man, this is really cool. So I was kind of a fan of both eras. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, Rob might be coming back. This will be cool, you know. And then boom, and I said, oh, man, it was. I, I remember that vividly, you know, just all the interviews on MTV, the back and forth. It went on for months, and I so I was just curious about that because it was such a crazy time. <laughs> No, I mean, I remember it very vividly, too, but, yeah, I never really, you know, I, I can't remember actually explicitly asking him about it, but he was pretty, you know, he would tell me he uh, definitely had his, his, you know, Van Halen landmarks that he remembered um, and would tell me about things that didn't that didn't come up in conversation. Yeah. Um, last question I had, just overall, I mean, as a fan for you, this must have been so incredible to, to talk with. You know, uh, you know, somebody so signature. I mean, what was it like just for you? I mean, was this a bucket list moment, uh, in your career, but just in your life too? You know, um, yeah, I mean, I think for, I think for me in all seriousness, it's like, it's just, it's kind of hard for me to, to reconcile that I was a kid who went to see Van Halen 1984 tour in April of 84 when I was 14 and to be able to sit with the, the man who made, all those great Van Halen records, but beyond that, I mean, just the incredible career that was more than just Van Halen, and which is the book is really dedicated to his whole life in music. It was, it was such an incredible honor that Ted trusted me to do this, knowing that again, he's not a guy who's out there seeking a spotlight. He's not like, you know, you don't, you know, he's not showing up at award shows. He's not, you know, it's just not his thing. He's not going to, you know, going to do interviews at Billboard magazine every, you know, it's just not at yeah. all Ted, Ted shtick at all. And for him to kind of go, okay, I trust you to do this. And, um, I want you to do this and um, to be able to kind of document for him, again, all the incredible talent that he got to work with and was felt so privileged to work with like a Michael McDonald out of nowhere. This voice comes and just sort of changes the sound of, of, of pop and rock music. So for Ted to be able to say, I, you know, I, I liked your Van Halen book and I know you can do this. It was just, it's just, yeah, it's like a pinch me moment. And it was something that I'll always be grateful to Ted for for um, putting this in his hands because, you know, to be honest with you, and I hope people understand this, you know, it's a stressful, you know, I, I always try to try to think about it from Ted's perspective. It's a stressful thing because you're trusting someone else to kind of do justice to your own personal stories and you're not typing every word. I mean, again, a lot right. of this was, was from emails from Ted and I'll get interviews from Ted. So it's Ted's words, but I'm still the one who has to kind of string it all together and make it like flow and stuff like that. So to sort of have someone else kind of, put your life into chapters for lack of a better term. And you're putting your words to the chapters and have, um, have someone else do that. It's, you know, it's, it's an incredible level of trust that he, um, 
had in me to do that. And I feel very privileged and I just feel um, very lucky. Well, it's an awesome set of stories that you captured. Again, the book is uh, Ted Templeman, A Platinum Producer's Life in Music, uh, Greg Renoff. And this came out uh, last year, right? So it's out there circulating. Uh, any other thoughts uh, that you had uh, that we missed at all? No, I mean, I think just, yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting. It sort of had this bizarre COVID rollout of the book because it, uh, it came out, it, it was um, the first copies of the book started showing up in people's mailboxes on April 8th, and the book was supposed to come out on April 21st. Barnes wow. & Noble okay. shipped the book early, which I'm not complaining about. I'm happy considering the, the oh, sure. situation we're all in. Um, but it's just, you know, and of course all the, the, uh, live events that Ted and I had planned, we had a few things planned out for Los Angeles and for, uh, book signing and a couple of other public events with him got postponed indefinitely to whatever we can get back to normal life. And so it's been a very unusual last couple of weeks like for everybody. But for me, yeah, to have the book kind of like slip out a little quote unquote early, it's all good. But yeah, the, um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been cool because uh, people have also gotten the audio book early. So the audiobook from Audible, if people have an Audible account, you can search Ted Templeman. It'll come up. It's You can download it right now. Um, but the book itself, in theory, doesn't really ship from Amazon until the 21st. And so there's been this sort of rolling rollout of the book, which has been not what I expected. And obviously, it's been totally different than what I expected, but it's been great. And yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, there it is, the final installment of uh, Dr. Greg Renoff telling us the story of Ted Templeman, a platinum producer's life in music. Ted, Amazing telling all of this uh, to uh, Greg Renoff and uh, Greg just you know them they all work together to put this together in writing and but just amazing stuff right I mean what a get I yeah. mean Ted Templeman yeah TT I mean, I mean he's he's got to know what he what he got there and yeah and he's a huge Van Halen fan too Greg yeah. Renoff is so I can't wait to sit down with us and uh yeah. I can't wait for him to send us two books. I really can't. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's just so cool. Greg, please. Dr. Greg, please. <laughs> no, yeah, but uh, awesome. it's definitely on my reading list, and uh, we'll be reading it this summer. You can yeah. guarantee it. Yeah, one of, one of the, the things we can do is read, you know. Because what else days. are we going to do? Right. Yeah. yeah no. I would read this book regardless of yep. where I am or what we're doing this year. So it's going to be a, hopefully a beach read for me. Mm. I like that. But, um, Down the shore, yeah. But um, so we were getting back to and speaking of reading and th are you going to read a little bit and then well, I, put the book down and pick up an album and then put that down for a minute because yeah. that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, bing, 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 you know, I uh, tired of bouncing around. I, it's something that uh, I've definitely uh, I've, I've watched some videos on this. You know, you're, you're supposed to relax. You're supposed mm -hmm. to <clears throat> let the moment wash over you. Um, a lot of people do uh, deep thinking. And uh, L.A. Times, in their wisdom, put out basically uh, a really cool article about um, deep uh, listening, mm -hmm. and uh, which is uh, kind of the same thing as deep meditation or deep thought or anything else, but it's when you actually sit down and you listen to something in full nothing else to bother no distractions mm -hmm. and uh let the music just flow over you mm. which is so hard to even do because we're on our phone i mean we used to do this all the time yeah, right we used to right before but, the iphones and all that i think right yeah before kids before iphones before um lots of different things mm -hmm. 
you know, it's kind of it's kind of sad, but I think the last album that I did this to was a Dave Mason record. Oh, wow. But I was actually doing other stuff in the house, so it doesn't really count. But <laughs> I just, uh, I can't think of the name of the record, but it's like a funky marble-colored vinyl from the mid-'70s, and mm. I just chucked it on. So I need to listen to something. It was the, it was the one in the front. Mm. I think I grabbed it for a box somewhere, and I put it on, and <clears throat> it uh, held my held my attention. I can't really say that I sat there with headphones on because I was moving a whole bunch of other records around, mm. but... Uh, that's probably the last time I've sat, I was in a, even a room where I listened to an entire record. Mm. I don't know about you. I think the last time for me was, oh gosh, you know what it might have been? I think it was Van Halen 3, which was a different record. It was not as heavy, there's a lot of melody, and I think I remember, I put that on and I just was relaxing one day, and I, I think I got through most of it, I think I actually fell asleep. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the thing. It's hard to listen to the whole thing. And um, there are some records that are so good. It's like it's over already. I think there's yeah. like a, there might have been a, a Phil Collins record that was just like, wow, that was really good. And it was all done. Yeah, like it just flowed so fast, you know. Um, I think it was Hello, I Must Be Going. But um, but it's hard. It's hard to do that. Driving around in the car, I drive around all the time. Now, I plow through records left and right. I just listen to Glenn Danzig's Elvis, Elvis, Elvis thing mm -hmm. where he covers Elvis. Yeah. Um, limited release that he's he put out it's pretty cool I, I really liked it um but i can't say that i was like again i was distracted by 50 million other things while mm -hmm. i'm listening to it right and i probably could tell you seven of the tracks that were on the album but i couldn't tell you every single thing mm -hmm. and it just it goes back to when i was a kid and it had those big can uh headphones that i mm -hmm. got as a gift uh can't remember who made them. Yeah, who did those? But um, Rush Twenty One Twelve was like I used to do that all the time with that record. Mm. I used to sneak into my brother's room, I grab Twenty One Twelve, I bring it over to my room, put it on. I had a big uh, stereo cabinet, and I, mm -hmm. used, I used to jam out to Nice Twenty One Twelve on my headphones. <laughs> yeah. I'd just be laying there staring at the ceiling. Da, 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 da. And that's that's <laughs> yeah. kind of sad. I mean, that's that's what music's made made to. Yeah, it's not sad. And that's what this that's article addresses. Yeah. Basically, uh, these artists go through, you know, wrenching sessions to get perfection for mm -hmm. you, and we're pretty much, uh, you know, listening to them while we're brushing our teeth. Yeah, it's not really. It's it's coming more of just like. A, an accessory rather than what it's really supposed to be. Like having the TV on just to have noise in the background or something, you know. Maybe not to that extent, but but not not the deep dive that yeah. it should be. Yeah. I'm losing my voice. I have to adjust my mask. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that, Marty? <laughs> hey, Marty, what's up? <laughs> oh, mine's crooked, too. <laughs> Marty is our audio engineer. That's right. Thank you, Marty. <laughs> That's right. Dear Fred. But uh, the article says, the late experimental composer and teacher, Pauline... Oliveros, who uh, I have her release, one of her releases, it's, uh, self, it's actually named after this next phrase, deep listening. Mm. And uh, she coined this phrase for just this practice. Uh, defining it as kind of, quote, radical attentiveness, she wrote, I differentiate to hear and to listen. To hear is a physical means that enables perception. To listen is to give attention to what is perceived both acoustically and psychologically." Hmm. Unquote. 
so um, you know it's uh, it would be a riddle if it wasn't so <laughs> poign poignant and it's very poignant yeah and uh, her that album is actually fascinating and I, this is a completely other radio show I mean a completely other blog but uh, deep listening it was uh, Pauline Oliveras a guy named Stuart Dempster and somebody else named Panoitas or something I don't know how to say the name mm. But they went into a water tower with their three instruments. Wow. And they made this ethereal masterpiece that I have actually listened to about Ooh. 20 years ago uh, on headphones. And it is, it's otherworldly. Wow. Like it just, the sounds are bouncing off the walls of this water Gosh. tower and cistern. And it's just. <clears throat> How do you even it's a brilliant that. concept. That's a, yeah, that's fantastic. It was a really cool concept, and uh, I know some other bands have recorded in water towers mm. um, to get that sound, but um, just thought it was interesting. Yeah, that would scare the heck out of me just going up that high, let alone. Wow, that's that's really amazing. But yeah, it's that's music is meant to be uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And experienced and adapt to it make it part of your soul let it let it connect with you you know let it fuse with your being yeah you know? I'm just wondering how many folks out there do that yeah I, I don't think many I mean the best maybe the closest thing is you're taking a quiet you're driving you know when I drive to Michigan during the holidays or something you know there's still traffic and I'm still paying attention oh did I miss my turn whatever yeah but I have the music going and I'm enjoying it but I'm also paying attention to the road of course more than you know let well, me say that yeah so maybe that's not the same it's not the same thing you know it, here's a question do musicians enjoy music more than people that don't play instruments hmm. <clears throat> or are musicians when they're listening to a record and I have some friends that are like this mm -hmm. when they listen to a record being made are they listening to how it's being played over... How it's being made. How it's being... Yeah. That's like what, what, the, what the message of the record is. Right. There's so many different... That's the thing. There's so many... And each one of those ways can be, <laughs> can be right. detailed. Each one of those, those, di those are different dives. Right. But they're still dives. Like, like I know for me, um, I mean, as a fledgling guitar, I'm not... I mean, I haven't even played in a long time. But, you know, I like... There's, there's people who play maybe a little bit more like how I would want to play if I was really good, you know, and so I listen to them or, or people who have a real influence, who I'm really influenced by, you know, right. Um, I'll listen to them and I'll listen more to the instrument. Uh, but then I go back and I listen to a whole different instrument and, and, and it's a whole different feeling. Yeah. You know? It's like talk. It's like reading the same book in a different language. almost. Right. You know, um, but then, yeah, there is the listening for content and, and meaning and trying to figure out what's, what's in this artist's head, you know, I think that's the thing I've tried to figure out, like, um, when you look at an album, especially like um, like anything from, you know, a collection of songs, like 10 songs or 12, and the, you know, what were they going <laughs> through to, to put that album together? You know, because right. nowadays artists will do, like, songs with, you know, an album with, like, 12 songs, and then there's, like, another 15 songs that come out later, you know, from right. our sessions, but it didn't happen like that in the 80s and the 90s, right? Right. It was that one album, and I'd say, gosh, you know, what were they going for here, or how did they, you know... And, and you know, was this stuff that they just came up with on the like? You know, it's time to do an album. We have three, four months. This is what's. This is our creative genesis. Or is it maybe we're re reimagining things from 
demos from before. I don't know, but either yeah. way, it's like trying to get into their head. I'm fascinated by how musicians think, you know? <laughs> that what? water tower is their head. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and they're hearing... And, and another thing I wonder is, and maybe I think too much about this when I'm listening to the music, so I'm not really listening because I'm thinking too much, right. but I wonder if is how close is what we're hearing um, to what they heard in their head right. when they were before it was recorded, you know? I wonder that sometimes, you know, like, did you hear that exact guitar phrasing, that exact guitar tone, that exact, exact effect, you know, or was it different? <laughs> you know, I always wonder about or it. Or is my experience of the record completely different than your experience sonically? Yeah. That's and, it. and that's, that's yeah. always like, it's like out of body type stuff, but it's always, I've always wondered yeah. like, when I'm listening to something and somebody else just doesn't get it, mm -hmm. is it just because... I'm wired a certain way, yeah. and they're they're wired a different way. Yeah, and and, and music and, and for the writers too. And I, I hate to go back to Van Halen, but just, it, it just hits me. Um, you know, when they were writing right now, Sammy said um, that Eddie was playing it. And it was trying to to him. Eddie heard like "Feeling All Right" by Joe Cocker. Right. You know? Which Sammy wasn't hearing that at all. It's a, you know. <laughs> and, and even when I heard that, I'm like, Joe Cocker, like, I don't hear that at all. And, and, you know, or even Christopher Cross, I don't hear anything that, that yeah. kind of sound, you know. But music's like that. Yeah. And that's on the creative side. So, yeah, on the listening side, it's right. the same idea. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a listener. I, I created for a brief period when I was younger. Mm. Uh, kind of realized that I didn't have the the chops of, mm -hmm. you know, Vinny Apice, but I just figured oh, I'd, I would... <clears throat> put that down and move on it wasn't my choice but yeah. you know it uh, but what way i way i am now about music is um it's it's just uh i gotta have it yeah you know i can't live without it yeah. i couldn't even imagine life without music oh i know i know but, i i think in terms of music like i you know no matter what i'm going through there's a song that kind of just reminds like so okay sometimes people will say something um and it'll trigger a song. Just on that topic that we're talking about there, I mean, what would be three records that you would listen to over a three yeah. three days, one record a day? What what would be three albums that you would completely submerge yourself in? I think one would be uh, the first one would be Aces or um, uh, Power Slave by Iron Maiden because there's Sweet. there's songs. I mean, it's it's an incredible record, but there's um, you know the sort of radio airplay songs like um, Ace is High the timing it's kind of tight and compact you know right um, blazing guitar work on it but then when you get into the rhyme of the ancient mariner uh, and the title track there's so many different textures I, you know the title track of that record it's like there's a bluesy solo then it just starts to rock up again yeah. and I'm just I, I was I'm fascinated because I, I and again I'd listen to it but I'd, I'd probably overanalyze it in my mind <laughs> But it seems like there's so many different songs that they kind of put together at one time, you know, because right. there's different styles in there, you know. Wasted Years is on that. Yeah, uh, wait, that's a little later. I think is that's it? a um, Seventh Son, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm is it Seventh Son? Or is that. Um, Power Slave is. Uh, yeah, Power Slave's 84. Uh, but, but even that one, too. No, I mean, seriously, that's another one. Um, if you listen to Sea of Madness, you know, right. there's a. The, in the bridge, it sounds like there's a woman singing. There's a voice in there. I don't know who that is. Yeah. But there's clearly a voice in there. It's like, well, who's that? How did they get in there? How did that? I mean, not how did they get in there, but <laughs> right. like, like, is that you know, like, how did they create that? Especially, um, in that era. And KK talked about this with Turbo. You know, not a, not a popular era for the band, but all these guys at that time when synth guitars came out, 
they were just kind of letting their creative juices go, yeah. you know. And uh, I would listen to those that those type of albums. I'd say number one, uh, Power Slave, to see kind of to just take it in and see where they were going. I guess another one. Um, well, while you're thinking, yeah. I'll do. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, my my first one. There wouldn't even be anything close to it. Would be the Wall. Okay. Oh, yeah. I know it's. Eh. No, but that, but that's there's reason for it. I mean, it's it's. But it's, there's a reason yeah. for it. It's that album is. Mm-hmm. One of my all-time, you know, it's just the perfect headphone record yeah. for so many reasons. There's so many things you hear in it every time you listen to it. Mm-hmm. Even though I've heard it, you know, 750 times, right? There's always something new I hear in, the, in that in that album. Yeah, just a tremendous production. It was produced and meaning, that way, I and think, yeah. yeah, and it was meant to be like that and experience like that. And I've, I've even had different pressings of it that sound completely different. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a good one. That's really good. Yeah. I just, that's one I've always gone to, and uh, I do remember when I was younger listening to that in headphones, mm. and it's probably why I have this sickness <laughs> for, for rock and roll. <laughs> for rock and roll. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Okay, that's number one for me. Okay. Um, number two for me, um, I uh, I have to say, of course, I just had it. Um, but it was kind of that same idea of like you know progressive sounds or just you know different ideas, um, and it was uh, oh God, I just had it. Okay, <laughs> I just had it. Um, number two for me, Dave. Yeah, I got number now. two for you. No, 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 no. No, you know, you know what I actually would say. I would say one of them for me was actually no, um, uh, the last Genesis album with Phil Collins. We can't dance because. Oh wow! I I love that record. I I kind of um, when my dad passed away, I don't know. I. I Music was kind of, I was a kid, but music mm-hmm. was one of the things I was really kind of looking, drawing to, to, and I knew he was a Genesis fan, and around that time, they were releasing, that was at a time where you could release singles off of an album like two years after the record came out. Right. Um, but there's so many different songs, but it flows, and, you know, No Son of Mine, the background vocals, especially the remastered version, it's such a powerful track. I think Phil's drums are just I used to, I, I had those, um, I used to air drum to that as a kid, <laughs> and I had the fills memorized. I, I could still, really? I, I probably still do, like I just, yeah. I mean, they're so unique, and how he got that tone, and then I realized, you know, nobody really drummed like Phil Collins, and I mean, people know that, uh, obviously the, you know, the big drum fill on, um, you know, In the Air Tonight, but he ha- he's such a tasteful drummer because he has a certain tuning mechanism, yeah. you know, and I'd listen to that, and I just, I, I found myself, you know, even... Even though that was very much the commercial era, there were still some prog, some different things they did. Like the, the they call it the they called it the elephantis sound or because elef- it sounded like an elephant. It was Mike that at the beginning of that track, mm-hmm. no son of mine. It's a guitar track that Mike was messing with in the studio, and then Tony Banks took it, put it into his keyboard, and just started playing with it a little bit. That's and awesome. they just created this magnificent texture um, there. And then, but there's so many other sounds on that record. There's you know sort of the the poppy or the, the sort of upbeat but um, tongue-in-cheek um, you know Jesus Knows Me and then there you know kind of goes he talks about you know a lot of the televangelist you know right. criticism and stuff like that then there, I'm not you know not necessarily knocking I'm just saying that's what the song's about but then he goes into like um, Holding My Heart which is just like in a lounge it's a it's after hours the crowd went home and you know the band's kind of left maybe just hanging around a little bit and you know it's like a love song sort of thinking about that person who still has a hold on your heart you know mm-hmm. and then there's like fading lights you know which is very emotional 
uh, driving the last spike, which is kind of you know, it, I yeah. think it tells the story of the railroad. And it, you just, I, I, I feel like it takes me to a certain place in time. You know, like what I'm saying is, that's an album that when I'm just listening to it, it's a, it's a record I can definitely listen to, but it takes me in a different world. It's like yeah, that hallway, almost like Twilight Zone, but not in a bad way. That white hallway with different doors. And each door takes you into a different place. You know that record does that for me. I think that's definitely a that's a great two, choice. I, I honestly me. don't kill me. That's the one Genesis album I don't have. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it's it, yeah. It was just because I didn't like that song. Uh, we can't dance. Yeah. Oh, I know. I despised it. Yeah. I was, I was so mad at them for that record. Right. I just was like, by that point, I was already in other. Other yeah. styles of music. And that's about the cheese. Now you're making me want to go back and, and reevaluate. I, there's there's some the la, it's a long record, actually. And it's those last four or five songs are just really it's so different. I mean, I know yeah. it was so cheesy. I it was kind of a weird but it's a sort of attempted blues, but tongue in cheek bluesy track. Um the video was kind of cool, I thought or yeah. kind of fun, you know. But it's a, it's it's really I mean it's a powerful record. It, you know, driving the last spike is um the way th those haunting keyboards in the beginning, it's like, wow, it's just, I, I mean, it is, you know. Yeah, Genesis makes some incredible, yeah, incredible music, and I don't really know why, but I, I have to go back to that time in my life to yeah. try to figure it out. Yeah, I know, yeah. It's like, I don't ever understand why we do what we do, but right. interesting choice. Yeah. What's Very your, cool. uh, you're on number two, I think? Number two, um, this will be a surprising one for me. Because of what we usually talk about and stuff, mm -hmm. um, punk metal, uh, and you were talking about the railroad. Uh, for me, it's Dire Straits' "Love Over Gold." Okay, um, that's good. That's quality. Telegraph Road alone deserves to be heard by everyone at least once on mm. headphones. You played um, that for me once. I, I think I did. You did. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's mad. <clears throat> but the whole album is is, is great. The second side is, you know, like five tracks, mm -hmm. but the first side of the album is just Telegraph Road. Yeah, and uh, it was a—it's a basically a story, mm. and uh, very, very powerful, uh, and and just a tremendous album to submerge yourself in because uh, it has a lot of personal meaning to me too. That record it takes me right back, like you were saying. Yeah, but. Uh, the production, the playing, some of, of Knopfler's best guitar work ever, mm. and uh, just highly recommend it to anybody. He's one of those players that he should be right up there with the Chet Atkins. He should be right up there with, uh, you know, and, and in many ways he's he got is. his fan base. He has a fan base, and in many ways he is, but in many ways he's just not. He should be on that list. I mean, he's he's sort of fallen yeah. off like, of where like, he was in the '80s because. Yeah. You know, uh, money for I mean, Brothers in Arms was just a tremendous. It was, oh, up, yeah. it was up there with Born in the USA that year. It was right with all those records, mm -hmm. but it's never really perceived like those records were Michael Jackson, yeah. Madonna, Bruce Springsteen to be in that same pantheon, and it mm -hmm. really is. It, yeah, it is, and um, and I think sometimes when a record gets so big. You can maybe you know you 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 think about you hear it and, and, and those songs are over played on the radio all the time. You, it's you can't. It's harder to dive into the nuances. At least I've yeah. noticed that sometimes. You know, um, but his style. I mean, the finger pick. His style of yeah. playing is for not. It's it's really. I mean, it, it, to me, it's like <laughs> it's kind of Steve. Howe, I don't know. It reminds me of Steve Howe in a way. Maybe that's maybe some people think that's an awkward comparison. 
but it's kind of in that direction. Maybe maybe Robert Frippish a little bit. You think? Yeah. Yeah. I just I don't know. I I just seem to go that way when I think of his style. Um, and just it's a, a special, skiffle, it's a skiffle style. Yeah, it's a special class of guitar and player. Jimmy, you know? I think Jimmy learned that way too. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think he played that way mm -hmm. throughout. You know, I think he did when he did that. And yeah. he completely changed his style up. But definitely, just check check out Love Over Gold and mm -hmm. because um, Telegraph Road is one of the best written songs ever made. Mm. And there's a, there's a tremendous amount of meaning in it. There's a tremendous amount of emotion in the song. Mm. It's about progress. Yeah. And he uses uh, <clears throat> the telegraph as being like that impetus for mm -hmm. the progress. Um, but it, uh, it it kind of leaves me speechless every time I listen to the song. Yeah. It really does. It, it, it was, um, I heard that when he played it for me. And <clears throat> I was just, uh, I was stunned. I mean, it was. It's like a book. Yeah, it's, it's a book. 13 and, minutes, I think it yeah. is, or 11 minutes. Yep. It's a very long song. Uh, I think it's actually 13 minutes, but uh, when he, when they play it live, it's like, it was like 20 minute track. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just go on and on with the, the solos. And, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Ah, uh, yeah. So good. But on Alchemy, uh, I think the song's around 20 minutes. Okay. That Alchemy is their live The live Alchemy, okay. That they put out. Uh, I gotta check that version out too. Uh, okay. I think they put that record out in between Love Over Gold mm. and uh, Brothers in Arms. What but, a great title for a record too, Love Over Gold. I mean, it's just a story. It's a, yeah. it's a book. You're right. It's that just, was a great year for music too. Yeah. I, um, but I I always, uh, I'm not a big fan of, I'm right of those big records. Yeah. And that's probably the other reason why after Invisible Touch, I kind of jumped off the Genesis wagon. Yeah, it's. It, I didn't like the overproduction and the and the gloss. Yeah, I liked a couple of the tracks. Um, Tony's a wizard. Um, Tony Banks, it, yeah. It, it uh, Tony Banks and and Richard White from Pink Floyd just don't get yep. their due. Really don't. I know. You always heard about Greg Lake and. Who? Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> but the, Tony, he doesn't, and especially even Tony Banks doing his. Um, Bank statement solo album, but you know the scoring, the orchestra stuff. He's right. not, you know, he's really brilliant. Um, and I have a couple of Tony's solo albums, and they're they're out there. Yeah, they're different. It's, it's different. It's, it's yeah. just, uh, yeah, he was he was a he's an incredible force, and it's yeah. a shame that they didn't get the tour this year. I know. Well, that's November, December. Just for you. Yeah, I know. Well, hopefully it, it, they have not cancel that really yet, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think I would go even if it did happen. I know. Unfortunately, that's the yeah. way I'm. Looking at this it's right now, it's just too risky. Yeah, uh, I, I think. Have, right. Oh, go ahead. No, but oh. uh, number three. What number three? Your, yeah. This is, uh, and again, it goes back to it's a bigger album, but it still makes me feel a certain way. Maybe because I'm not, I wasn't um, 75, I think, so I wasn't born when it came out. But at the time, it, uh, "Born to Run" by Bruce Springsteen. Oh and, wow. And uh, the reason I say this is, uh, I mean, I, I know it's a big album, and you know, people, you know, people who were around at the time heard it probably all over the radio but to me there's like a if it's got the flow to it you know and it's almost like a black and white storybook in my mind like i yeah, hear that song or the, that whole album and it's like it's it's just the story of i guess uh you know growing up you know kind of that baby boomer generation growing up and you know the time of war the time of just uh you know a unique period in american history you know um, I mean, just you know, youth. The what's the word? The discovery of of life and, and yeah. right of rites of passage. I guess yeah, you know. Yeah, it's it's yeah. a total rite of passage record. Yeah. And love, loss of love. This yep. that. 
the other yeah i mean um, jungle land is just i mean that's uh, that that clarence clemens solo is it's emotional i mean tonight it, yeah i mean there's so many jungle. emotions that i feel and and that record and I even get a little teary-eyed listening to it. I'm not even kidding. No, like, I, yeah, I totally And, and I don't know what it. triggers that, because I, I don't know, I mean, and I'm ashamed, ashamed to say this, I don't know the full story of the record, but I think especially when Clarence Clemens died about almost 10 years ago, and I really, I listened to that, and I just said, oh my God, I mean, it's a masterpiece. I mean, it's, it, it is a masterpiece. It's, it's such an incredible piece of music, and, and I'm, I hold on to every note, and just, you know, jungle, and the dun 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 you know, it's just like, and then he Bruce hits that high vocal note, and it's like ah, oh, I just I'm feeling it now. I'm getting dude, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps right what's, now. What's really you can't see this. On sad, the podcast, yeah, but, what's yeah. really sad about that yeah. that record is Danny, yeah, uh, yep. Federici and and Clarence. Uh, big sounds on that oh, record. Man, yeah, uh, Danny's playing and Clarence is playing. It's totally make that record. Yeah, uh, they both have left this earth, mm -hmm. and uh, but just a tremendous. Tremendous gift they left us. Yeah. And um, that band was white hot on fire at that time. Yeah, that was a tough period. I think Danny died in 2008, I want to say, because I remember I was in Flint at, at, at my second TV news job, and we uh, I, I was reading The Wires, and it came down. Like, oh, I was just like, oh, boy. You know, it just it was kind of a gut punch. And then yeah. a couple of years later, it was uh, Clarence. You know, yep. I think that was 2011. Because uh, I remember you two did an awesome tribute to him, you know, when they did uh, they did one of their songs. I think it was one, but they did a beautiful tribute to him. But I don't know what, you know, in that E Street world and Bruce and, you know, what they were going through. I mean, losses like that, you know. They kept on playing, you know, which I guess is kind of what you do. You know, it's still a family, you know. And, yeah. But, man, I mean, but that album is, uh, it's just a special, it's, it's, it's like a story, but it's like, it's like a black and white movie, sort of, in a way, in my mind. You know? That's exactly how I feel about yeah. Love Over Gold. And yeah. In so many ways, um, Telegraph Road is, and, and maybe it wasn't intended to be, but it almost feels like a tribute to uh, to Bruce. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, um, yeah. It has that, that kind of feel to it, but uh, it changes numerous times. There's... There's just it's just pure poetry dripping off the page. Yeah. Um, and Bruce, Bruce's lyrics on that album, and for most of his albums, for that matter, um, just uh, another level. Yeah. On just another level. Yeah, and and just the way he's inspired. You know, I think the other thing too is every every part of the country has a sound. You know, like in Detroit, yeah. it's Motown, but it's also. You know, the MC5 Stooges, Seeger, rock and roll, grittiness, you know, L.A. has a sound, you know. Mm -hmm. New Orleans, obviously, you know, jazz and, and everything. But I feel like the East Coast has a sound. And I feel like it's like it's that blue-eyed soul, you know, they call it. It's Bruce. It's, it's um, you know, the 80s of Bon Jovi, sure, later on. But there's just something like when I'm on the boardwalk, I hear a certain sound. <laughs> and it's kind of that, you know what I mean? Like I, I feel it. It's like this, this is the stuff they were writing about on those records, you know, yeah. like. Uh, just the, the that East Coast feel, going to the shore, you know. Hey, you know, meet you across the river, you know, yep. it, or, or yeah. something, you know. And it's like, oh man, I, just, I don't know. I feel, I feel that. It's yeah. what I feel. Maybe I'm crazy, but that's kind of what I feel when I, I I'm in this region and I, you know, go up to like Northern Jersey or just kind of explore like the New York area outside of the city. I'm just fascinated by that whole area. That and the Sopranos, I guess too. <laughs> but um, both no, great. Yeah, both great. both great. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, that's but, a that's uh, a great choice, dude. I 
it's just, I mean, it, it moves me, man. And, and again, it's like, I, I'm leery of big records because like, it's a big record, you know what I mean? And it's like, but it, and, and it's so easy to hear a poppy record. Like, Born in the, even Born in the USA is, fen, is phenomenal. I mean, even that mm -hmm. one. Um, but it's, you know, when it's so big, you, you hear it in a different, it's hard to, you gotta go, I gotta go a long time without listening to it because it just, it, it feels, I don't want to say bland, but it, one dimensional. You know what I mean? Because you hear yeah. it so many times on the radio and it just, it's, there's a, there's not many, it, it's flat as opposed to a lot of terrain and, you know, dips and dives in the, the natural curvature of the earth, if that makes any sense to you. Yep. <laughs> I guess. I uh, do, man. I do. Yeah, preach yeah. it. Preach it, <laughs> Preach it. <laughs> My third choice is not uh, anything like the other two. Mm. Uh, you're going to like the third choice because okay. it's who you are. Mm. Um, my third choice is Fair Warning from Van Halen. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. To me, sonically, I think it was their best recorded mm -hmm. record. Yeah. Um, and I still think Eddie's Chops and Alex's Drums. <laughs> you were singing it at the top of the show. <laughs> I, I just think it's bar none um, their yeah. masterpiece. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like their... Uh, white album so yeah. to speak I, I know it's a short album I know that they're maybe considered a throwaway with one foot out the door but I love one foot out the door so mm -hmm. um, I wish it would have been four minutes longer yeah. but uh, I just uh, the album has a feel from its sinister cover which I used to stare at mm -hmm. for hours uh, and, and, and listen to that in headphones um, it's probably why I love the band so much. Yeah. And I always consider that album to kind of be like uh, my introduction to them in some ways because that's when I really got into them was mm -hmm. off that record. Okay. It's a very odd record to get into them on. It's different. Yeah, yeah. Was um, it 80, did, um, uh, 81? 81, yeah. Yep. 81 or 82, I can't remember. But I uh, totally... I love Women and Children First. I mm -hmm. love Two. I love One. I, I would say, out of their first five, excluding 1984, yeah. um, sit down and listen to the entire albums. Would I would extend to probably One, Women and Children First, and Fair Warning. Yeah. Diver Down is not. Uh, yeah, that one. It was kind of like a fart. Yeah, <laughs> for lack of a better word, it was just it was it just was there, yeah. and everybody heard it. Right, but it has no sustenance. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like I mean, I'm sorry, I no better description for that. But I still love the record. Right, and we and we talked about this last week, but um, but Ted's production on Fair Warning, it, I don't know what they were doing in the studio. Yeah, and I sure wish I knew, and I sure wish I was there. Yeah, because I, I will mean, read Greg's book just to find out. Yeah, if that's something that uh, they the delve into. Is, um, it was they, like their dirty record. Yeah, they were just their dirty um, blues record or yeah, something. Dirty blues is exactly. It I, doesn't I, even exactly. sound like anything else they did. Yeah. No, it really doesn't. And uh, that just came. They had an anniversary, April uh, 29th. Um, well, what's the track list? What do we start? Uh, the with? track list. We've got uh, Mean Street, of course. Dirty Movies, which is great. Um, Sinner's Swing, Hear About It Later. To me, there's nothing like Unchained. Like, you hear that riff. Just the, the... I mean, just... Hear yeah. About Later, just the riff. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It's just... Yeah. Push comes to shove. Mm -hmm. 
So it's, so is this love? Sunday afternoon at a park, Mike would play that solo. You know, he would mm -hmm. when he does his bass solo, he would play that, and then one foot out the door. I mean, there is there's something magic. It's a weak ending yeah. on the album. I mean, yeah. the last two songs don't even make it past four minutes. But right. Yeah, one one fifty nine <laughs> and one fifty eight. <laughs> I know. It was like they had a they almost they had an EP and they threw on yeah two tracks. <laughs> but I still I love listening to this record. Yeah, I love listening to this record. I, yeah, well, Mean Street just takes you to a place that's like you know, it, it, because I think people kind of thought of them as the pretty boys of rock at that time, you know, yeah. sort of. But I think they said you know we're just there's a dirty life out there. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I mean on the streets like a, a certain you know certain things to stay away from you know that that you and i would probably stay away from but they're you know like just i don't know dirty bad things lurking around the corner like a yeah. spooky kind of record is what i'm trying to say you know what i mean like sort of haunting yeah. there's a haunting like scary type is what i'm going but for, they do they know? were the party band right and, and then they put and that album that's out. what i'm saying it's, and it's, that's it, what it, i yeah. love about bands when they right. actually go away from what they do yeah and i guess you could say it's about the wall and love over gold yep you could say it about Genesis is uh, um, we can't dance. You yep. could say it about uh, Springsteen on that record. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't really make another record like yeah. All like, those bands didn't really make records like the records we're talking about. Yeah, those were standalones. You're right. Uh, Love Over Gold was never duplicated. Mm -hmm. um, Fair Warning was never duplicated. Yeah. Bruce probably has been trying to duplicate <laughs> Born to Run his whole career. But yeah. I mean, Born in the USA was close, but... Right. The really, River... Really sort no of, cigar. The River has a little bit. Maybe a little bit to... Well, the the river, river is a whole different thing. The River almost made my top three, so... Yeah. Um, I'm a huge River fan. Yeah. I'm... Uh, that's my... Uh, if there was a catalog of Springsteen records mm -hmm. sitting there, I would probably go with Nebraska first, yeah. and I would go with the River second. Okay. If I was going to pull them off the shelf and listen to them, yeah, okay. Um, don't know why, just the way it is. Yeah, there's just it's a it's a feel. I mean, he has a he has something that Heartland sound. You know, it's a Heartland. It's a there's a Springsteen album I'd listen to in Middle of America. You know, like there's yeah. a Route 66 album. There's a I'm mean, seriously yeah. like there's a feel. It's just a I don't know like uh, standing in a cornfield with headphones on. You know, listening to Nebraska. I mean, I and I, I mean that that's like I would. Feel something, you know. Did so, you ever hear Johnny Cash do uh, Johnny '99? No. Uh -uh. From he wrote that for Johnny Cash. He did, really. Yeah. Okay. And it was on Johnny Cash's Columbia album. Okay. It was probably I think I think it was the last Columbia album that Johnny Cash ever made. Wow. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, but there were there were a couple tracks on there mm. uh, that Bruce was involved with. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> the album just tanked and went absolutely nowhere. Yeah. But uh, Johnny Cash's version of Johnny 99 is fantastic. Okay. Wow. Even though, you know, I'll talk about Nebraska anytime. Yeah, I'll check that out. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Pop it up on YouTube and check it out, folks. Yeah. With headphones. <laughs> oh, all right. But, uh, yeah. Lists. Well, we had a viewer, uh, we're going back to metal now. Can you handle it? <laughs> Can you handle it? <laughs> but we had uh, somebody sent us. Um, their list. All right. So and we, we cannot got. deny them. No, we got to do it. Uh, this is from Matt Spies in Key West, Florida. And Matt says, this is a mixed bag. Some are chosen for sentimental reasons. Others just because. All right. Just because they rock. Just because. I dig it. Ow! Uh, mm. First one, uh, I don't think they're in any order. 
Uh, first one's Melvin's with Houdini. Mm, okay. Uh, it was a, their Atlantic release, uh, their first major label mm. album. Um, unbelievable record. Mm. Uh, we're hoping to get Buzz on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, Napalm Death with Scum. This guy's going really heavy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Scum is, uh, woo, that's a tough listen. It's very good listen. It's uh, is this like really edgy, crazy? Or no, it's not. Like, it's not. Yeah. No, he's he's he uh, he is a from the bottom of the list. He's obviously a new wave of British heavy metal fan. Okay, okay. So, but he just uh, Napalm Death is a uh, that first album is is a groundbreaking record if you've ever heard it. Okay, I haven't. No, our, our compadre Greg <laughs> would probably have that on his list. Too. Okay. A Slayer with Rain and Blood. Oh, yeah, classic. 86, right? I yep. Think, yeah. Uh, Motorhead with Ace of Spades. Yes, definitely. I mean, uh, as classic as classic gets. Black Sabbath with Paranoid. Yep. Like the found, I mean, what that founding era, yeah. <laughs> Pantera oh. with Vulgar Display of Power. Okay. Was that before? There was, there was af before Cowboys from Hell, right? Was that before? Or was that after? Vulgar Display? Was that? Cowboys was 90, so it was. It must have been after I think there was there yeah, was like it the was yeah. after. Okay, yeah. okay. It was even it was like every album they made got harder and harder. Yeah, I know. Like <laughs> and then you look at pictures of them from the eighties. Like twice as hard as the previous one. Yeah. Now, this is interesting. I've not heard of this this group at all, and I'm definitely gonna check it out because uh, it sounds like Matt's got some great tastes. Mm. He does have great tastes. He does. No, I'm digging. Uh, Nail it. Bomb is the name of the group. Point Blank is the name of the record. Mm. Nail Bomb. Hmm. Nail Bomb. Okay. So I, I know I wish I would have researched that. I didn't see that one on the list. It yeah, snuck me in Because it was in between Pantera and the next release, which is Iggy Pop and the Stooges with oh, yeah. Funhouse. Yes. Okay. A Detroit classic. Absolutely. As good as music gets. Mm-hmm. Woo! I'm sorry. I just <laughs> had to do some Iggy there. Uh, Metallica with Kill em All. That's my favorite, yep. Metallica. Uh, interesting release from Maiden. Iron Maiden with Killers. Yeah, okay, so 81, yeah, Paul, Di Paul Diano's second. And that's not record, the first time yeah. I've seen this on a, on a list before, because mm -hmm. the old heads, who were in the Maiden before right. Number of the Bees, yep. um, Killers was a... It's a smoking record, a I mean, it, it, it really is. I mean, it's that's a fast, that is your classic um, new wave of British heavy metal. I mean, that's like... Before that era even got, I don't want to say commercialized, but you know what I mean, like get really yeah. big. Like it's just fast, just fast and, and dirty guitar riffs. And I mean, and the self title one, yeah, yeah, uh, right. Just two great, great, great albums. And uh, Paul's yelping, oh man, <laughs> that's a Paul was Paul just blew, blows it away on that's those a great, two albums. That's a great choice. And they have a tremendous number of non album tracks from that era. Mm -hmm. They're also all very good. The uh, Soundhouse era? Yep. Or, yep, Soundhouse tapes. Yep. Yeah. So uh, that, that's a great choice. That's, that's really Makes me want to go listen to it. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, I'm going to write. I'm, I'm writing this down. Killers! Um, except, it, and yeah. I've, I've preached this one to you. Yep. Um, this one's also sentimental for me. I, we, we saw them on this tour, mm. uh, or the tour after, the album after. But except with Restless and Wild. I mean, Okay. Seriously, yeah. uh, that's yes, that's yeah. one of the best German metal records ever made mm -hmm. on Brain Records. That's the late seventies, right? Kind of. Uh, that or was 80, 80, 
81, 82, okay. somewhere yeah. in there. Okay. Had uh, three um, Flying V guitars. Yes, okay. Uh, yeah, on yeah. fire. That's awesome. That's a great car. So I'm yeah. sure they were regretting right about yeah. now. Oh, my God. Because uh, And then the American release had a really lame cover with them in concert, mm. which was like, uh, I never really understood why the U.S. release didn't have the... Because it was one of the best metal covers ever made. Yeah. I thought. Album covers. Let me look made. that up right now. Restless and... You're talking about... Restless and Wild yeah. from Accept. I know the... I haven't seen the cover in a long time. And then uh, another classic. Uh, this is one of the first black metal records that was ever released. Mm. Uh, Venom, uh, At War with Satan. Okay. Great yeah. album. Okay. Isn't that cool cover? Oh, this is cool. The Flying Vs. That is cool. I cannot believe. That's so good. Oh, yeah. They did not. Uh, That's awesome. I remember we got that record. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were Best promotion like, Gibson would have whoa. there. Yeah. Oh, man. That's awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That was the guitar back then, too, man. That, you know? that was the guitar. Yeah, the Flying V. He oh sacrificed God. it for the cover. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Three of them. Or what? <laughs> yeah. Venom yeah. at War with Satan, that was their third album. Okay. Um, very, very, uh, very, very cool release. Because mm. they're at war with Satan. They're not in league with Satan. Right, right. They're at war with him. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Right. Now, um, Testament. With the new order, okay, uh, it was Testament's uh, Metallica-esque album. Mm. That's when they started uh, really, really sound like Metallica. I thought. Okay, what was that? Was that like uh... late eighties, early nineties? Okay. somewhere in there. It was. Okay. Uh, oh, what was the other? The new order and uh, practice what you preach or something. Okay, like yeah, that. they were all. Mm. <gasps> <laughs> that was good, really good stuff. Yeah. This interesting one from Matt, uh, Bad Brains Live at the Paradiso. Mm. Uh, that was that's a, that's a club in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I'm definitely gonna have to check that. I didn't know. I've not heard that release. Uh, Megadeth. Okay. With Peace Cells. Yeah. Who's buying? Yeah. Eighty mid eighties first one. Yep. I, I was. You probably have that on your list. Yeah. Oh yeah. Is that the, that's the, yeah I got that yeah. Uh, Sepultura with Roots. Okay. A drum-heavy uh, Brazilian metal masterpiece. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they have their first album I talked about two or three shows ago. Uh, In Remains. Uh, just got a reissue. Mm. Definitely check that one out. Uh, Anthrax, Among the Living. Okay. Uh, ACDC, Highway to Hell. Scorpions with Blackout. Oh, yeah. And Riot with Restless Breed. Yeah, the, yeah. Is that the Riot. one Candle and um, the or, uh, Swords and Tequila? Is that the no? That's that's. Um, I think Swords and Tequila is on the one before. Those the first that. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Restless Breed is uh, that was on Electra, Electra Records. Yeah, they just had a loss in the band. We talked about a few yes. weeks back. Yeah. So it, uh, but he was gone long before this album was made. Okay. So. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, that's a great list, Matt. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, uh, All right. Folks, send us your lists. Do it. Come on, do it. At Rock Nations DK. That's our Twitter. At Rock Nations DK. Yep. Party on. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I think a lot of these these things are going to pop up on the other thing that we were talking about earlier that we can't tell anybody about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. The top secret project. The yes. Top the top secret top project David yes. Shane. Yes. <laughs> cannot right. wait. Full show. Good stuff. Oh, my yeah. gosh. 
Great list. A lot of stuff. Thank you for your list, folks, yep. and uh, bear with us. Mm -hmm. uh, we were yapping tonight. <laughs> yeah, but it's good. It's all good. I got to adjust my mask one more time. Yeah, I got to adjust my mask, and oh, no, we went an hour and 30 minutes. Sorry, Marty. That's for Marty. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> Mask adjusting. We're just gonna smack and, you down. And we went, you. we went too long. <laughs> but Dave will be cutting this up, I Because there was lots of stuff going on tonight. Uh we we had uh yeah, there were a well, lot of things. We had a car happening. going down the wrong way. Of the road. The street wrong. Yep. Going very fast. Yeah. We had uh, um outside the studio. Yeah, I, yeah, a few things like that. Yeah. So yeah. But yep. um everybody stay safe. Take care of each other. And Again, we're all in this together. Don't push things. Mm -hmm. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Do your part. You know, just do your part. I mean, we're gonna get out of this crap. Yep. Every day, I have op op I'm optimistic mm -hmm. that something's gonna, something big's gonna happen. We're moving one day closer to whatever that time is. We, when this is over, we're moving one day closer, and that's the truth. I mean, we are yep. gonna get. Someday, the yeah. new normal will actually be normal. Yeah. And I hate that phrase. Oh, the new I know. normal. I know. I do too. But anyway, Maybe the take new care. normal can be the old normal. <laughs> and keep rocking. The other way around, the old normal can be the new normal. Yeah. That's what, yeah, I, <laughs> I've been saying that for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends, take care. Take care. <laughs>